Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, welcome to Talking Fanfic. My name is Sarah. I'm your host, also known as Story Shark 2005. Um, welcome to episode 303. You guys, welcome here. I'm excited. This is a big episode, uh, mostly because the editing was an absolute fucking nightmare. <laughs> um, this is the episode I've been talking about for a little bit that I've been wanting to do. It's kind of a big overview primer, um, just obsession dump on everything Oasis, the Gallagher Brothers, RPF, um, and uh, G-Cest, although surprisingly it's light. And uh, by G-Cest, we mean Gallagher-Cest, which is a slash ship between Liam and Noel Gallagher. So as far as the fit goes, we talk a little bit about that. But actually, there was so much to go over that we don't really dig into that. So if um, if the idea of like an incest or a brothership really freaks you out, um, actually, I think you would still enjoy this as maybe just an Oasis fan or someone who is curious about the story of the Gallagher brothers. Um, the other thing I'm going to do is, because it's such a long episode, I'm going to put some time caps. I've been wanting to do that. I just haven't done it because I've been too lazy. But I'm like, I'm 15 hours or whatever into editing this, and I might as well. And it just it makes it easier for everyone to maneuver around or break up the episode, because you might be listening to this over several days if you stick with me. Um, hopefully you'll have fun. The episodes with Laura are always a little messy and crazy, um, but hopefully you'll also have fun with us. Um, so kind of the rough outline is that uh, we do sort of a cold open of just me and Laura hanging out drinking beer. Um, I make Laura list off all of the albums of Oasis in order, and you'll see how successful or how much of a failure she is at that. And then Probably about six minutes into the episode, we uh, talk about how we discovered Oasis Fake, RPF, all that good stuff. After that, uh, we w kind of walk you through a timeline of Oasis from the birth of Liam and Noel Gallagher all the way through where we are today with their solo careers. Uh, and then we get into the fanfic and the Rex, which we only get into for probably a half an hour, 30 minutes. And then after that, we spend... Um, probably 45 minutes just talking about the music and I got a bunch of music clips. Hopefully I will not get a DMCA takedown since it's fair use. We'll find out. It's very rock and roll, you know, just download the music, stick it in there, see what happens. So that's kind of fun toward the end you get all the music. So, um, like I said, if you're not into GSS, if the idea of it freaks you out, it's actually fairly light on that. Um, if you are into GSS, I think you will just enjoy somebody talking out loud about this thing that we love. And then next episode, finally, finally, I will get right on to editing it. I'm so sorry the wait's been so long, but I am really excited for you guys to hear my interview with GV. It went really well. She's amazing. You know, and those episodes are always a little cleaner. I'm a more professional. So if you're like, fucking hell, this is such a mess, um, you will enjoy the interview. But I think you'll enjoy this too, because me and Laura have a good time. So ask yourself a question. Are you mad for it? I'm mad for it. Let's go. Well, are you feeling... Supersonic. 
Okay, wait, here, here, we'll start. Let's see. Freak! <laughs> what was that? <laughs> it was footsteps. And then it was a door opening. Creak! <laughs> Where were you going from there? What, what happened when you opened the door? I was going to go, hello, Sarah. How are you doing, our kid? Yeah, that was not... A man, Kenyan. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, you just need to put a bunch more fucks in there. All right, you fucking cunt. You fucking cunt. Fuck you woke me up in the fucking morning. Fuck off. <laughs> fuck off. Get to fuck. <laughs> oh, actually, what ha- what really does it is if you're able to listen to a video of a man, Kenyan, such yeah. as the Gallagher Brothers talking, and then I can do it a little better. I yeah. feel like prime. It is difficult. Cold open for a like, speaking of cold opens. Welcome to Talk Fanfic episode 303, um, which sounds like I've done 300 some episodes, but in fact, uh, I have not. This would be number the third. <laughs> number the third. <laughs> no, I was gonna say 13, but that's not even right because I did She's 10 lost episodes. The lost the plot. Uh, we finally, Laura. What are we talk? We finally get to talk about Oasis today. Oasis. Just to show you how deep the obsession is and the faith that I have in our kid, Laura. Uh, I haven't prompted her about this. Laura, can you? Are you able to name me the studio albums in order? Oasis studio albums in order, followed by the solo albums of Liam and Noel. You can include BDI if you want. Just studio albums. Am I fuck? <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> maybe. Maybe. What's the story, morning glory? <laughs> Be here now. Be here now. Standing on the shoulder. One shoulder. Oh, okay. see? One People shoulder of giants. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me just make sure. Um, okay. Ethan Chemistry. Ethan Chemistry number five. Number five, number six. Don't believe the truth. Don't believe the truth. Number seven, dig out your soul. Dig out your soul. The last Oasis Studio album. I'm assuming you don't want the album of B sides called the Master Plan. I was gonna, I was gonna wonder if you were gonna throw in Master Plan. Where now does that come? What order would that come in? Uh, that was. I think that was. After Morning Glory or after? I think it was After Morning Glory. I think it was After Morning Glory. I, I could got... double check, but I'm not going to. But I'm not going to. to do All right. Yet. So that's the Oasis. Uh, yeah. Seven studio albums plus the album of V-Sides, The Master Plan. What happens next? It's Noel Gallagher's self-titled debut. Noel Gallagher's yep. Eye Flying Birds. <laughs> Amazing. And then... You know, you don't have to stagger them. You can just do high flying bird stuff in order if you want. Or you want to be pro about it. No, let's do it right. Um, okay, okay, go on, go on. Then you've got A. A was on a roll. So then you've got Chasing Yesterday in 2015, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Same Gear Still Speeding. Different Gear Still Same Gear. Different Gear Still Speeding. Is that what's next that with BDI? Come, oh, that came after Chasing Yesterday. I, I think you're, so. You're probably right. We I could, could be wrong. Well, yeah, I could be wrong. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. It's a different British band. We'll go unnamed. Um, 
Griffin gear still speeding. Oh, see, that was right away. I was wondering. Okay, so that actually, BDI was right out of the gate. So after Oasis broke, Griffin gear speeding came right out. And then actually, I don't think Noel had released High Flying Birds yet. So anyway, we're still impressed. You've still got, let's just, okay. Yeah, let's just, I feel like you should just do, tell me the High Flying Birds stuff. Tell me the BDI See, stuff. Um, all right. Unless you just want to keep going from your mistake. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. No. All right. All right. We'll just say BDI had two albums. The first one was Different Cure Still Speeding. And their second one was B. B-A. B-A. It's a fantastic album. Oh, such a good album. Such a good album. What was Noli doing this time? Noli. So after his self-titled debut, he did one called Chasing Yesterday, mm-hmm. which is also very solid. Uh, and then he went all David Bowie, or no, I don't know what he went. Cosmic uh, Pop. <laughs> yeah, what is he? He's a Leo Sayer Cosmic Pop. As his brother would say. Yeah. Uh, called uh, uh, Men Who Built the Moon. Wait, wait, wait. Correct yourself. The Men Who Built the Moon? Who Built the Moon? God damn it. Yes. Who Built the Moon? <laughs> who Built the Moon? the moon. And then what happened in 2017? And then a certain young man released his debut solo album, As You Were. As You Were. And then he had another one called Why Me, Why Not? Why Me, Why Not? And then he had another one very recently called Come On, You Know. Come On, You Know. Come On, You Know. Come On, You Know. And here we are, which was 2022. So anyway, I'm sorry for that long. You didn't uh, ask for the EPs. No, no I did <laughs> not ask for the EPs. You have not been able to do that. Neither would I. Uh, so that Black was a real thing. That was no, no, We'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so on, Jesus, this is a real uh, just kind of no, tumbling across the the ground, speeding start to an episode. So for all of you guys who don't know, we were talking about. Oh, the band Oasis, which Laura and I have been obsessed with, and uh, there is uh, fan fiction surrounding RPF, which you should know is real person fiction. What kind of weirdos would get into real person fiction, Sarah? Ooh, lots of people, actually. More oh, than you think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want us to sound like mm. such weird. Well, you haven't even mentioned the, the weirdest... Oh, gosh. Okay, let's just back up here. So, God damn it. This fucking thing is such a Fine mess. Fine form this morning. I like it. I like it so You know far. what? You know what? You're right. It's in the style of kind of Mikey and Jeremy, the Cobra guys. Yeah. <laughs> we keep it casual here on Talking Fanfic. Absolutely. As like so, yes. So, you and I, let's just real real quickly just say how we got into this. I think, with, I think I've mentioned on another show is that okay, we were yes. both into the – Traditional fan fiction, which is media fan fiction, which is like yes. comic book characters. Everything is fictional. None of it's real. In fact, it's so not real that people fly, people dress up as bats. <laughs> it's not. None of it's real. And then I was into Smallville. And then I think there's an episode of Smallville, uh, which at, Smallville always had these great episode closers where they'd have like amazing like 90s and 2000s pop. Yeah music to kind of close out the episode and it was tugged on your heartstrings. Well, goo goo so dolls. I think, oh, goo goo dolls, uh, <laughs> dashboard confession. I don't know who they all had, but 
the fray, um, the fr- oh, snow patrol, all that <laughs> shit that we used to listen to on the school bus in like yes. fifth grade. Um, so uh, I think this was the episode uh, called Red. I think where Clark's acting like a lunatic, and then oh, that one, oh my god, yeah, yeah. the red kryptonite makes him an asshole. And then at the end, he's trying to talk to Lana, and she's like, "You can lunatic." I don't want to talk to you. And then Clark's standing in a field with flowers and she's like on a horse. And then she turns the horse around and (laughs) trots away. And he's literally standing there with flowers. And then the song, Stop Crying Your Heart Out. I was just obsessed with Smallville and I was like, oh, that song. I know I've heard it before, but but I looked it up and saw the music video and it's like, Oasis. Oh, right. Aren't those like kind of the Beatles cover band sort of? <laughs> that is what I thought Ooh, of them. Let's just say in the U.S., um, I was just, we, Laura and I are 32 now, so we were born in 90. So much information I'm giving out to the public. Um, <laughs> we, so we were, when Oasis was huge in the U.K., from like 90. Oh four or five to like 96 seven eight uh we were just a little bit too young if we would have been teenagers here in the u.s i feel like we would have uh probably listened to oasis and oasis did u.s tours they were here they actually played at sandstone arena close to us where we were just at chris was telling me that um uh and so we just kind of missed the boat on it and also uh our family it's it's amazing now because my dad has a great stereo system and he's like a music he's into music but growing up, I think because he knew we would break it, we didn't have a, st- a stereo set up. And I think, you know, in the car, we would like listen to 90s country music. And mm-hmm. we just had a pretty horrendous like CD collection, <laughs> I feel like. It was like my mom liked the Eagles. Uh, we had a lot of like Christmas and soundtrack music. And then like 90s country. And then, uh, oh, I don't know. My brother was in like Puddle of Mud. I'm not sure. Like it wasn't a great... <laughs> musical um upbringing basically hit lincoln park and the chili peppers <laughs> it's true yeah that's two bands not one <laughs> yes uh lincoln park and the chili peppers that's actually my newest cover band that i am forming <laughs> anyone can play instruments let me know oh my god amazing yes um so it's we like scream rock with a little bit of california <laughs> john for shanti style solos um, Absolutely. I'm so sorry. So anyway, Laura and I weren't exposed to like what I would call good music. And I remember every day on the school bus or when our brother started driving us to high school, we would be listening to our local like 96.5 The Buzz. We would play Top 40. Yeah. So <laughs> we did finally get some like at least current kind of music, but it was like that fucking Christina Aguilera song. What is that uh, fucking song? You know what I'm talking about. They played it a uh, thousand times for the best. It's like the one about being beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. go away. Oh, God. Hey. It was that one? And then that peanut butter oh. jelly song. <laughs> peanut butter jelly. The weirdest, <laughs> it was peanut the weirdest jelly. combo. Peanut butter jelly with a baseball bat. Yeah. Oh. And then Gwen Stefani was big. I feel like, I don't know what year. Let's see. Let's just place that for us. We can cut this, but... um. Let's find out when that Your Beautiful song oh, was out. I fucking terrible. hate that song so much. Um, <laughs> Is it like a sexual euphemism? <laughs> no, she's like 
trying to encourage um, young, insecure teenagers when she looks oh, like. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm talking about the peanut butter song. <laughs> God damn it. Okay, Laura. Christina Aguilera is beautiful. Came out in 2002. Okay. Now, let's just take a second to think about that, too, because while the amazing Oasis album Heathen Chemistry yeah, was out yeah. at that time, we were listening, been listening to Songbird all day. And- Jesus Christ. What a shame. Anyway, that's the music we were raised on, right? Shit American Top 40 in the early, late 90s, early 2000s. So I didn't find the Beatles until I was in college in like 2013-ish, maybe 20 You were like getting into the Beatles and then I got super hard into Radiohead. You were into the, because you, your coworkers kind of, I feel like exposed you to good music before. I remember thinking like, oh, Laura's like. I don't know if I was admiring or like, oh, she's being so snobby. But I, remember- I was probably acting snobby. <laughs> we were pretty snobby in our early 20s, if you can yeah. believe it. We're, we're actually less snobby now. <laughs> oh, my God. So um, so she was listening to Radio. Yeah, you, so you got to supposed to like Radiohead, Coldplay, which was all going around the time that like Oasis was having kind of their later, their kind of second half of their- I was into Coldplay. Okay, early Coldplay. You- you no, I, I know I like Chris Martin. I do too. Who can't? Who doesn't like Chris Martin? Yeah, Oasis. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Liam, I think Liam likes Chris Martin now because Noel. Yeah. Like apparently, after Liam played that show, we'll talk about this later. Uh, the the um one life one love Manchester show. Um, oh yeah. Which so Chris Martin got permission from Noel to play. I think don't look back in anger. Um, or something. So was, he got permission to play some of his songs, but he did not tell yeah. Noel that c- because Noel couldn't make it, he called Liam, and Liam's like on his way to Germany, which is funny because in in there's some interview before you agreed to do it, and he and he's like, he's like, I can't do it because I'm- yeah, I'm gonna be in Germany or something like that. And I feel like here's my theory about what happened. Chris Martin said, uh, Noel, yeah, he heard Noel couldn't do it, and he's like, Debe. Book me a plane. So that's again not the accent, but he, he was like, yeah. "Book me a plane ticket. We're fucking doing it." So he got he got out of his show in Germany, I think, and they just flew straight to Manchester or something like that. Oh man! And they like rehearsed in the bathroom one time and then sang "Live yeah, Forever." And then after that, Noel, according to rumor, Noel Noel's people told Chris Martin's people, "We're done professionally." Man, that's hard to believe for sure, though, because like it's a rumor. Yeah. I mean, I, I, can, I can absolutely believe it, though. I can't remember. I've seen some other interviews, but I can't remember what year where Chris Martin has talked fondly about working with Noel. And I feel like it was within recent years, but I can't remember. I well, you'd have to compare and see if it's before or after Liam saying live yeah. forever. Chris Martin. <laughs> anyway, shit. So we, didn't, so we didn't know anything about Oasis until um, yeah. I feel like I had heard that uh, when I was getting into the Beatles, I some somehow like in an ancillary way heard of oasis but um they really weren't as popular here like they are culturally embedded into the music culture of of the uk um so yeah i heard that song and i think i maybe sent it to laura but you are the one who like took that and yeah yeah. i heard it in like two i don't remember when i like had heard oasis but i remember when you sent me that to me i'm thinking oh yeah wonderwall they're those guys that did the original of that ryan adams song i like right because i got hard into ryan adams too and i still love ryan adams and he's famous for his cover of wonderwall 
and um, and I loved that cover. And I th- I almost think I heard it before I've heard the original, or else it took more notice of it anyway. And uh, but I and I remember thinking it's yeah it's like got those two brothers, and I'm pretty sure they don't get along or something. So at you some knew point, more than I did. I, I, and I don't remember how I ran into that, but at some point I must have like just Googled it a little bit, pry through the Ryan Adams thing. But um, yeah, I yeah I started listening to the song and uh, I was like, that's, that's fucking great. And I think I started listening to other stuff on that album, maybe. But then started, I don't know, I can't tell you the journey exactly, but then started listening around and being like, this is an amazing band, actually. And at some point after getting into the music, I watched Supersonic, and then it was like, okay, boom, <laughs> new obsession. <laughs> you were like trying to write your other fan fiction. I'm sending you like spam messages of like Gallagher, Gallagher, you gotta get into this. Gallagher's, look at them, they're beautiful. Look at their music, <laughs> dude. Yeah. I, it felt like it was overnight because yeah, I was. And I you was were like, like, "Why are you sending me all these pictures of these like middle aged?" Like, not particularly good-looking British. There's weird because you first see them and you're like, they're not that good-looking. Well, and, and then, from certain angles, like, I, there was a quote about yeah. Liam that was like, uh, at one angle or one afternoon, he can look like the most beautiful person you've ever seen in your life. At, he, like, he turns his head and he's like the scruffy plumber that you've just called to <laughs> fix your toilet. Like, yeah. Yeah, it seemed like it happened overnight because, yeah, I was I was getting kind of out of Smallville and I was getting into Cold Flash and I was like writing oh, yeah. some. I was watching The Flash and getting obsessed with that. And then I feel like I could feel that that was becoming my thing. And then this completely stole yeah. the wind out of those sails. My bad. Because <laughs> I wasn't – I was like – yeah, I was kind of annoyed. I was like, oh, you're just spamming me with this. I'm trying to concentrate on this Cold Flash fic I'm writing. Yeah. And then I think – I'm trying to remember. It might have been the MTV Unplugged. Um, oh, with, yeah. Which is Liam and Nolan acoustic. So good. I'm free to be whatever I, whatever I choose and I'll sing the blues if I want. I'm free to say whatever I, whatever I like if it's wrong or right, it's alright. Not only is it like, sounds so good, but obviously Liam... Yeah, he's beautiful in it. Yeah. But I just couldn't believe what I was looking at. I was like, is he? And it's not just like cosmetic beauty, but it's like the way he's singing those songs. He's got some kind of. The way his mouth is moving. a little. Well, okay, you're just. Okay, I'm stuck on the aesthetic <laughs> still. But yes, okay, sorry. Go on about yeah. the, the actual no, music. I don't know. It's just there's, there is something. I don't want to say childlike exactly, but there's just. It's sim- he's a simple. It's, there's no layers to him. It's just. It's just what you see, and there's something very intriguing about that, I think. But and then his, yeah, he sounds amazing. But and then you know, I don't know. It's weird because Bonehead's on keyboards, which <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't know at the time, which would have been unusual. There was just they just performed as a three piece for some reason, but yeah, uh, it really works really well. They did Live Forever, and then what's the other whatever, one they did? whatever, yeah, which are both I'll amazing be songs. Whatever I, yeah. Na, 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 na. Uh. Yeah, we'll link that or I'll put some audio in right now. Uh, it's, it's an incredible it's video. Great. Oh, my God. And I was like, all right, well, I better start. Um, and then I think you sent me – and then obviously this episode is like going to pair just sort of like the Oasis thing and the appeal of the Gallagher brothers with the, the fan fiction. And, of course, 
that pretty much involves only two characters. Let's just say <laughs> if you like Wincess, you'll really <laughs> like Jesus. So it's an incest pairing. It's a brother pairing. It's a brothership. Um, and I just stumbled into these things somehow. I think before you sent me a fic, maybe you and um, I think Elsie a bit, because Elsie was familiar with it as a Wincess fan. That's right. Yes, right. Yes. And uh, yeah, another Oasis fan, but I think Elsie's still into Winchesters, which is good. Yes, they're still doing the uh, super strong into the to the Wincess thing. Um, but I think they yeah. had sent you, uh, maybe told you about the Loch Lomond kiss. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like that's how it was. And I was like, what? That flips the switch in your brain real fast. <laughs> like, well, I bet fan fiction exists about these too. Well, I'm just curious. I'm just gonna go. Oh, yep, yeah. There it so is. If you Google Oasis Loch Lomond '96 or Loch Lomond kiss, it will. Just an interesting moment. That's all. Yeah, we'll talk about this. I figure what we should do, and I don't know how long this episode's going to be, but I thought the first thing we could do is kind of just go through. We don't have to go. I mean, it's a long chronology that I, you and I have written out. Yeah. Because I think that's a good just kind of overview of the the arc. And that we'll get into kind of RPF and how that um, falls under fan fiction at the same time it is obviously not fan fiction because you're not using copyrighted fiction material to write fictional characters. You're writing about, you're using real life to write about real people, which is just a really unique thing. And yet it's kind of become an inextricable, an inextricable part of fan fiction. So, um, and I'm going to be doing some interviews. Hopefully I've got for sure, at least Jeevy's going to be coming on um, right after this. And then hopefully um, one or two other authors, uh, if we can confirm that. Um, so very exciting. So I thought to enjoy those episodes, hopefully if you guys are not familiar with Oasis, this will be a good way to like, just give you the rough, the, 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 the rough and dirty, as they say, I don't know. I think, I don't think they say that rough and tumble. <laughs> yeah, that's not a thing people say. Um, I'm not sure what I was going, what I was going for. <laughs> Here's the rough and dirty of Gallagher says. As they say. It's real rough and dirty here. Jesus as you world. were. As you were. As you fucking were. Okay. So uh, where do we start, Laura? What part of the world are we in? Well, we would start uh, in Manchester in England and I guess 1966. Yep. One thing to note is that actually there are three Gallagher brothers. People forget Paul. Yeah, who's amazing, actually. Paul is amazing. So, that, yes, three brothers. Paul is born in 1966. And uh, I don't know if they were in Burnage. They might have been in like Levisham or Longsight, some, somewhere in there, their first house. All these little areas or communities within Manchester, right? They're kind of like suburbs within the city or something like that. I don't know what you call them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure either. Um, but Manchester's a major industrial city in, in the north of England. Similar, of course, Liverpool is not that far away. So Beatles fans, it's like a similar kind of vibe up there. But Manchester, I feel like there's more like fuck you energy <laughs> yeah and something is in the water there because like who else so Beatles are out of liverpool but then in manchester you've also got actually the bgs were actually born in manchester oh no shit um yeah uh got the it, law no the laws were out of liverpool okay stone roses obviously yes yeah, stone roses is a big one in manchester um i think happy mondays maybe happy mondays for sure there's a major one i'm forgetting uh, like the jam and um yeah yeah oh well the smiths the smiths yeah that's probably the big one yeah 
So the fellows were born in the late 60s, early 70s in uh, Manchester. You get Paul as the oldest. Noel comes along like a year and a half later. And then Liam comes along like five years later. Yeah, so he's a few years younger. They're living in council estate housing, and they're being raised primarily by their mother, Peggy. And there is a father, Tommy, um, but he's basically a piece of shit. And we know from uh, Paul's book. So Paul wrote a book sometime in the 90s. Oh, you've got a copy as well, I see. Indeed. So uh, it's a great resource if you get into the Oasis stuff and you want to know more about the early... It's called Brothers from Childhood to Oasis, the real story. Yeah, it's it's kind of um, it's great. It just you know it's makes fun. you kind of sad, especially about some stuff. And yeah, <clears throat> there was physical abuse, emotional abuse, all that good stuff. Yeah, he smacked his kids around, hit Peggy with a hammer. I had just read that the other day. I read that too. I don't know if someone's getting that mixed up with when Liam got hit with a hammer, but it could be. Oh, that's true. I had read it in like some journal article, so they tend to get things wrong too, like magazine article. But yeah. Anyway, he was a piece of shit. Yeah. He was beating on Peggy. He was beating on Paul, especially being on Noel. And kind of from what we gather, it's like, and what you gather from Noel's personality today, he's just an extremely strong-willed person. And he was probably lipping off to his dad more than, say, Paul probably would have been. So yeah. it seems clear that he got the brunt of the abuse. And Noel also kind of, in his growing up, can be described by most people as a quiet and then he yeah. was also picking up the guitar around this time. His dad had a guitar in the house. And I think there was maybe a second guitar that Paul had that he kind of messed around with but wasn't using okay. much. I think I could be wrong about that. But uh, he was picking up the music thing pretty early. And he would just really would retreat into his bedroom listening to. And you know all this. I'm just kind of. Yeah. like no, If you watch the Supersonic documentary, Noel makes this comment where he said you could kind of say that my dad beat the talent into me which for most people is like quite quite a statement but i mean yeah he's saying you know it's like that kind of maybe abuse and uh, kind of drove him into himself a bit more and he retreated to the guitar and never kind of came out which is great for us yeah and, th- and there was like it was a very uh in a way musical family kind of from both sides because i think Peggy's family, like in Ireland, the boys would go to Ireland uh, every summer for sort of the summer break. And I think there was some music kind of on in the Sweeney family on Peggy's side. But even on even from Tommy, I mean, Tommy was a DJ and he would DJ the Irish club. So I'm sure some of that music the the boys hated. Um, But it was kind of like always around the music scene, even when they were young. And Noel especially had a big Noel and Paul. Paul's like. People don't give Paul enough credit for anything, but Paul was the one really collecting sort of records first. Yeah, like all the good records. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they were so close in age that I'm sure they had very similar record collections and were sharing records and stuff. So yeah. so Paul was really into like, you know, the Smiths and the Jam and all that stuff and wanting to look like Paul Weller. Bod the Mod. Yes, Bod the like Mod. was his nickname and they still call him Bod to this day. Yeah. So Paul, you know, probably had some influence on Noel, even though, you know, a lot of people describe their personalities as like Noel was almost acted like the older brother. You know, I don't Mm -hmm. know enough about that dynamic, but um, and then you had Liam, five and a half years younger, who was not into music in his youth. Nope. He was into football. He was into (laughs) girls, girls, probably showing off, looking good. Yeah. Being the center of attention, head honcho, center of attention all the time. 
Weetabix, which is, I, I think this, he calls himself the Weetabix kid. And I think it's like a sugary cereal or something like that. It's actually not that sugary. It's just a big, Weetabix is actually a terrible, it, it seems to me, you know, like the giant, um, is it just wheat? like a, yeah, like a shredded wheat. Shredded wheat is what it is. But he was just running on a lot of carbohydrates, I think, I all see. day, okay. every day. Yeah. So what was I going to say? I don't remember what I was going to say. So just the personality was just kind of the younger brother energy. Younger brother energy, who's probably on the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Liam, Liam you get the impression, was extremely high maintenance, just like always just getting into trouble at school. And always wanting to play with Noel and Paul, who just wanted to ditch him all the time. And like he would like ask to play, and they would be like, "No, fuck off!" And he'd be like, "Mom, yeah, yeah. Noel and Paul won't let me play with them." Yeah, always wanting to play. Yeah, not wanting to like play with kids his own age. He was always following Paul and Noel around the neighborhood. And Noel, let's just say, I said Liam was always getting in trouble at school. The only reason that maybe Noel wasn't getting into as much trouble. <laughs> wasn't at school he wasn't at school <laughs> no basically from when he possibly could would just skip out of school and like go do mushrooms at the park fuck off eat a bunch of magic mushrooms no was doing all the drugs from a young age i think paul has said that he also was doing some glue sniffing and that he probably got Noel into that but then Noel was just like really good at drugs he did a lot of drugs <laughs> it's amazing how intelligent and functional he still is today with the amount of mind-altering substances he has consumed in his 55 years unreal so so yeah so picture this kind of a paul's sort of your normal kid noel's your quiet internal dreamer staring out the window kid liam is a complete nightmare if you're a parent um <laughs> just fucking but then you just to give liam a little credit then you you get his mother who's like he's like a devil but he's like an angel too because then he could be like the sweetest kid you'd ever have and like carrying her friends grocery bags without being asked and like just being a real sweetie but yeah so which i think you can see both sides of liam today too like he can be he can mouth off so much but then he can apparently like everyone who meets him says he's like the sweetest guy yeah i think that you do see that like that bravado already there yeah. At at that young age. And I think that's probably part of like growing up poor in Northern England. Obviously, yeah. it's got to do with his father. Because Liam didn't, let's just say, Liam wasn't physically hit for whatever reason. Yeah. Tommy was either just, I don't know why he didn't hit Liam. He was too young or what? Yeah. Either he was too young. I think that's most of it probably. Um, but he he was, as the youngest one, he was at home with his mom more often. He was watching Peggy get hit constantly. He shared a bedroom with Noel. So there were only two bedrooms upstairs. Paul got his own room because he's the oldest. So Liam and Noel shared a room from, you know, whenever Liam was out of the crib. And like Tommy would come home drunk, go upstairs, drag Noel out of bed or Paul, one of the two of them. If he wasn't beating on Peggy, he would just pick on Paul and Noel drag him out of bed Crazy. and just fucking beat him, kick their yeah. head, you know, punch him, just all kinds of horrible stuff. And like, if you can think of like a five, six year old kid watching this happen. And like the anticipation of will it happen? And uh, and then Paul's got this like horrible story when, when he was a kid and he was sent out on an errand with like a five pound note. He was supposed to buy something and he realized when he got there that at some point in the bike ride, the five pound note had fallen out of his pocket and he just describes like the sick feeling, you know, anxiety, panic, just knowing what was waiting for him at home if he didn't find the money. And he's describing it. And it's just, oh, it's just 
makes you right there with him. And of course, it's not a happy ending for him because he doesn't find it. And he just kind of says, yeah, I got what I thought was coming to me. And he doesn't go into detail about it, but it's just like awful, awful stuff like that, which is crazy. I don't know. I don't want to like skip ahead or anything, but like the kind of amazing optimism of Oasis's music is what is really cool. Once you start learning about the Gallaghers and the kind of music that comes out of an experience like that. Yeah, so so needless to say, they had a rough childhood at some point. And I have written here eighty four. Peggy, Peggy is already legally separated from Tommy, which was a whole thing actually because Peggy's Catholic, and this plays into the music today with especially I think Noel and religion. She stuck with Tommy a, a long time, probably longer than she would have because, of course. Divorce wasn't done, especially in the Catholic Church in the 70s. You know, you can't take the sacrament or whatever if you're a divorced woman because yeah. you haven't kept your promise to God. So she stayed with him a long time, but she finally realized that, like, he's going to kill me one of these days. If Yeah, there's, like, actual death threats against the children. and It's all wild to us. If you're atheist or if you're just not very religious, it's wild to think that someone would stay in that. Obviously, not, not judging or anything. But it's like the thing with it is that, you know, Catholic to the point where you you think if I get divorced, I'm going to burn in hell for eternity. So it's like real kind of mortal struggles there with what do you do? And and plus, yeah. but, but she was constantly going down to the council people asking for, I need to get out of this house. I need a new place. And they just would not grant it. She's like describes just crying in there and just being it's like ah awful i don't exactly how that whole thing works over there but it sounds like you would apply Mm -hmm. and then there was like a waiting list yeah because this was the this is the late 70s early 80s so peggy files for legal separation i have written in 76 but she doesn't get out till 84 right so she was putting things into motion pretty early on actually yeah, so she was trying, but the economy was really bad. This is like yeah. austerity time in the UK, and there's just a long, long, long list of this government housing. And we have government housing in the US, but I don't think it's as kind of comprehensive, and it doesn't work probably as well as in the UK. But yeah. there was like the Beatles kind of same thing a lot. I think all those guys might have grown up. Maybe not John, but th- that also might have been a government house. But mm-hmm. It's like council house, council estate is, uh, I feel like something you see often in like good music because it's just kids. It's like kids coming from nothing. Yeah. You just end up really motivated and talented. Um, But anyway, so Peggy finally does get the boys out of the house away from Tommy. And actually, it's not that far. It's like a mile down the road around the corner. Yeah. (laughs) Because they still see him once in a while, but they try their very best not to interact with him. Although- I don't, it doesn't matter. I think they like end up sort of working for him still or something, getting jobs because he owns his own company. Yeah, he owned like a concrete firm or, or some construction thing and Paul and Noel. Yeah, it's so sad. Like, it's not like he was like, because, you know, some men are driven to really horrible things because, you know, they're poor, they can't work and, and there's a shame. But it's like, no, this guy was doing really well in his businesses. He had his own business. He was making money, plenty for the whole family. And she just describes like he would just take all his earnings. He would keep it for himself. He'd give like almost nothing to feed his family for the week. And then like he'd go fuck off and to the pub, of course. And then he was like seeing other women like taking care of their children. It was just like wild oh, to me. He would he would have Paul and Noel in the car with him and he would like drive around for some. Yeah, that's right. Calls. See his mistress and they'd be like 
go or wait in the car, kids. And then he'd go in and it'd be like, it would just be a minute. And that's like two hours. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no, not that there would be excusing for that ever, but there's, you cannot find a single excuse, except the only thing I think is probably Tommy's childhood was not great either. It's not an excuse. It's just searching for an explanation. And it, even with Tommy, it's hard to find an explanation to some of that behavior. Yeah, I don't know. He, they're both from Ireland, and I'm sure it was tough times. But yeah, he's a piece of shit. So, yeah. yep. So anyway, that's how the boy, the, the boys grew up. They get away from Tommy. Noel can finally play his music all he wants yeah. up in his bedroom by himself. Liam's out running around on the, you know, playing uh, football as we say soccer over here. And Paul is doing his thing and working. And so they're just kind of like making enough money to sort of make things work. And then, um, and they're all on and off on the dole, the kids. If the kids can't find jobs uh, once they graduate, whatever that's called, whatever would be high school over there. I can't remember what that's called. And then it's just like adult, the adulthood kind of thing in Northern England at that time was like, get on the dole or get a probably a shitty labor job that you hate. Mm-hmm. But Noel, actually, probably probably Paul first, but Paul and Noel kind of get into uh, seeing live music. And this time in Manchester is the Manchester scene, Acid House, and like club music is big. And then we'll kind of fast forward through some of this. But basically, the Stone Roses start to uh, hit the big time in Manchester. Noel gets super into them, and he meets a guy named Graham Lambert of this band called the Inspiral Carpets. And we'll talk more about Inspiral Carpets, I'm sure, when I interview GV. Yeah, she's like an expert. Oh, yeah. That early kind of like... And she's met Clint Boone, which is really cool. And uh, Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Clint, Clint Boone uh, is the keyboardist for the Inspiral yeah. Carpets, and he and Noel become friends, possibly more. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> Noel's got some suspicious, weird pictures of his behavior with other men in that time. And it's like, all right. Um, <laughs> In any case, he actually becomes a roadie for the Inspiral Carpets in the le- in like 89, I think. And then probably around 89, 90, 91, somewhere in there, Noel actually ends up as a roadie when the Inspirals get big enough that they actually go on a world tour. So yeah. they go to America. They do a few, sh- a handful of shows there. It was never like Oasis level, but they go to America. They go to South America. They go all around Europe. Like Japan too. Japan. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So he's getting all that experience. He's seeing how a band works, seeing what works and what does not work uh, as far as band dynamics go. I know like the fun, one of the fun sort of criticisms he has about that band is like, he's like, it was way too democratic. They all share decision-making. He's like, you could just, it waters. And he's got a point in the end, but this is such a null thing, but he's like, it waters it down. He's like, if someone's not in control and ultimately making the decisions, you've got everybody's input. It's like too many cooks in the kitchen kind of thing. And it's like, it doesn't end up working. It's like a band's not a democracy. And then, so it's like, okay. So this makes sense when you look at, yeah, how Oasis was run a little bit more and how he runs his band today, which is not a democratic thing either, which is, I mean, it works and it's great and it's successful, but yeah, Noel's in charge. Yeah, I, I love that looking back in at these Inspiral days when he was just a roadie and he's already kind of like getting the uh, experience that he'll need later. They're like great stories of like the other band members getting intimidated by him because he was learning how to play like every instrument and they're like, they could kind of tell like he was actually like really good. And there's some story about, I think it's the drummer maybe got sick. Yeah. 
And they're like, well, I mean, Noel will have to play. And then all of a sudden the drummer suddenly got well again <laughs> and not well enough to play. And you're like, yeah, it's because like, he knows like if Noel gets to play, he might not be in that band next week because – yeah. Well, and they knew that he had aspirations. Yes. Because he had tried. He had actually tried out to be the singer yes. when they were before they got their their singer that they ended up with. They had a previous one that didn't work out, and Noel tried out, and they said it's not quite the right voice. But do you want to be a roadie? And that's so he already was yeah. like you know a little bit bruised by that could could have been, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, but then he yeah he meets Mark Coyle who becomes a lifelong friend and the sound one of the sound engineers of. Uh, the early albums. So all these things are like slowly coming together and he doesn't even know it yet, which is cool. Yeah. And one day when he's on the road, he calls yeah. home and he talks to Peggy and he happens to ask about Liam. He says, what's, what's our Liam up to? And he's like, probably the only time I've ever asked that question. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he says the journalist, he's like, I never asked about Liam, but that day for some reason I asked after Liam. Uh, I think he's full of shit, but I know that. Yeah. <laughs> who knows? But any, in any case, Peggy says, Oh, he's out at rehearsal. He's like, rehearsal, what's he doing? Fucking Shakespeare. <laughs> she says, no, he's in a band. In a band, is he look? Yeah. <laughs> he's the singer. And Peggy tells Noel that Liam, Liam, meanwhile, so Liam has graduated his, I'm sorry, British people, I don't know what your school's called. He's basically graduated high school, not doing anything after that, obviously. He's gotten out probably by the skin of his teeth. I don't know. He's got four GCSEs, mate. It's not silly. He's probably sent like a handful of teachers to the insane asylum. And yes. they're they're done with him. So he's like, yeah, Liam's just like fucking around town. And at some and he's uh at this point he has discovered when I think Noel's kind of gone is about the time probably Liam discovers music. And yeah. there's this crazy story, we don't know if it's true or not. I like to think it's true, where yes. Liam in a in a schoolyard tussle. I mean, this part is at least true that he's Yes, yes. He gets another kid hits him on the head with a hammer. I yeah. think bad enough he actually did get admitted to the hospital. Yeah, if you got hit in the head with a hammer, these kids don't fuck around. I mean, they're like pretty hard kids in this period in Manchester. Like you could like over f- football, as we say soccer here, you, you get knifed in a, you know, if you're the wrong team in the wrong part of town, you could take a shiv to the ribs. You know, it's like it's actually dangerous. But anyway, yes, he got hit in the head with a hammer. Yeah, that is like, we won't spend any time on it, but that's actually a good point that Americans don't really understand football hooliganism. It's like a whole thing in England. It's real gang warfare, basically. Like It's real sports gang warfare. Yeah. And we like, to, we don't have that. I mean, we have some rivalries, but our gangs here are about drugs and stuff, which I'm sure, I don't mean, I don't know if it's related over there, but like, it seems like a real, like the root of it. Is like His your football, football team. team. Yeah. It's crazy. Anyway, yes. So Liam gets smacked over the head, gets in the hospital. According to him, he wakes up and then um, he's hanging out with his girlfriend, I think Gina at the time or something, and she starts playing a Madonna song. Liam at this point has maybe been into like there's some like stories where he was into breakdance music, possibly. Amazing. And trying to be a break dancer. It would be like early nineties or late eighties, like hip hop. Maybe some Beastie Boys. Yeah, well, nothing wrong with that. No, nothing wrong with that. But yeah, like breakdance records, it's, it's just funny. Yeah, he wasn't into like the scene that was starting to explode in Manchester until – so he hears um, this Madonna song. I, I think it was like a virgin. And he said something went off in his head where he was like, 
I can hear music in a way that I couldn't before. So who knows if that's Liam exaggerating. He's got a very kind of cosmic lens that he looks through the world at that comes through in his music. But that's what that's the story he tells. And then at some point, I don't know, Liam's stories always change a little bit to like Paul says it was at Spike Island in ninety. I think Liam has said he went to a show at the International Two was his first Stone Roses show. But in any case, he sees the Stone Roses and he's like, I want to be in a band. Yes. Yeah. And I can be Ian Brown, the front man. If it's like the first time I saw like footage of the Stone Roses, I was like, oh, okay. Because it is like kind of, uh, I don't want to say a poor man's Liam Gallagher because, you know, Ian Brown is a proper front man, but it is like a version of what Liam became for sure. And and if you hear like early, even on Definitely Maybe, but especially on earlier demos, he is basically doing an Ian Brown impression, which is really cool to hear. And then yeah. eventually he develops more of his own sound. But like the look, like the tracksuit and the glasses mm-hmm. and like the, even the tambourine and just the way Ian Brown moves, it's like, oh, okay, that's what Liam, Liam saw that. And he's like, I'm having a bit of that. Yeah. And uh, that becomes early Liam Gallagher. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that Paul, Noel, and Liam all dis- all described the Stone Roses is that they dressed like us. So this wasn't Paul Weller looking super cool in a suit. This was like council estate kids in big baggy t-shirts and, and trainers and baggy yeah. shorts. So they looked like council estate kids. So that was like a big thing. It's like you can picture yourself. Yeah. So Liam Gallagher, young Liam Gallagher can look up and be like, I can do that. That could be me. So Liam somehow, I think he at this time was friends with or sort of new Bonehead. Yeah. Bonehead is the- uh, Paul Arthurs? Guitar- one of the guitar- yes, Paul Arthurs, one of the guitarists. We call the rhythm guitarist, or he became the rhythm guitarist when Noel joined, but- so somehow, oh yeah, Bonehead, Tony, and Gwigs, yes. who are the three three original members of Oasis, were in a band together with another singer, and they were called The Rain. Mm-hmm. And somehow, uh, I think Liam hears that, um, it depends on whose version of your story, but yeah, the singer's not working out. Uh, there, I can't remember the guy. There's this one I read recently, this um, so, someone's account, I can't remember his name, that was actually apparently with Noel when he first saw Liam, but says that um he had to kind of bully Liam into to like actually showing up and trying out. But whereas Liam's like Yeah, he's like, Oh, I just strutted in and I told him I'll be in your band if you fucking change the name. And he's yes. like, yeah, they were having me. Cause I, you know, but yes, another count says, well, he was actually kind of shy about it. He yeah. really wanted to be in the band, but he was a little uh, shy. He was shy, but they knew that he looked good. Liam was already like pretty fashionable, according to accounts at this time. <laughs> he had the haircut. He had the walk. He had the clothes. He had sort of everything, but he just hadn't actually opened his mouth to sing. And then when he did, it was like very obvious, like, uh, okay, we need this guy in the band. So Liam joins the rain is immediately like, we're not going to be fucking cold, the fucking rain or whatever. He's like, we yeah. need a new name. And he somehow comes with Oasis. It's not the end, Spiral Carpets tour poster for somewhere called Swindon Oasis. Yeah. Yeah. The Swindon Oasis water park is probably, yeah. Cause Noel would have had in Spiral Carpets posters around Yeah, or Liam would have seen those around town. So probably it's that. Um, so they quickly become Oasis. So Liam was actually never in the rain, as he says. He never performed with the rain. He was the one that made Oasis uh, the band. So it's, so it's uh, at this point, it's Liam Bonehead, uh, Tony McCarroll, who is the drummer, and Gwigsy, who is their bass player, who is constantly just high and kind of just there. <laughs> stoner. Sweet, sweethearted stoner. So they start doing small shows around town. Some, I'm not sure if there was... 
they were doing the booking themselves or how they got shows. But well, it was like the second one they did that Noel sees, right? Oh, okay, probably. First, it's like the first or second show, I think, that already Noel had, yeah, he'd called home and Peggy told him, oh, he's in a band. And Noel's like, fucking, I'm going to have to see that shit. He's like thinking he's just going to have a good laugh at him or whatever. Yeah, so Noel, uh, <laughs> Noel and I think Corley and whatever, it might have just been those two. They're basically either not asked to come back or fired. I'm not yeah, sure as what happened. Yeah, the roadies, yeah. Yeah, they were sort of, because they were, um, quote, uh, the the band said you are, quote, uh, I think intimidating and unapproachable. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. So he comes home. He's not quite sure what he's going to do except have to sign up back on the dole again. So Noel's already looking kind of for his next steps. And so he goes, he shows up at his little brother's show at the boardwalk in Manchester. And uh, he's got his girlfriend Louise with him at the time. And he sees Liam up on stage singing this song called Take Me, which when we get into the G stuff <laughs> is like. It's kind of a perfect tool for us. In that world yeah it's like take me when i'm young and true take like i've been waiting for you it's kind of a strange sort of like sexual song apparently it's basically like bonehead wrote the music and then liam wrote some lyrics to put on top of it it was my understanding of it yeah yes yeah, so that definitely comes up in some some jesus fic but in any case um noel maybe tells liam to his face that he was shit but we know that other accounts I forget who else there's like, no, then he said to his girlfriend, actually, they're pretty good. And you think about Noel's whole thing is like, he's been writing songs this entire time. He's got, he's already got a stash of songs. He can play instruments. He's been learning how to form a band, but he hasn't actually gone and done it. And then he comes home and his little brother who by all accounts is just like, just loves football fucking around drugs girls like there's never been any interest in music it's not like liam's been singing around the house at all apparently and he comes calls home it's like oh yeah liam's the front man of a band uh would you like to go see him so it's like you just picture maybe being impressed but also jealous that like in a very short amount of time liam's managed to do pretty much everything that noel's ever wanted to do albeit as we see like noel's true talent is as the songwriter and that's what really propels them forward as a band and his knowledge of how a band works. But, uh, you know, in some ways it's like Liam just, he's, there's a bit more rock and roll about it. He just went out and he did it. And so that or already that kind of rivalry a little bit is probably showing up. No, totally. It's amazing though, that it's like everything just lined up. Yeah. There's some like early interview where this guy's like, yeah, you must've worked really hard. And Liam's like, no, he's like, it's actually pretty easy. He's like, it actually happened pretty quickly. Which I think probably is a bit of an exaggeration because Noel talks about how well rehearsed they eventually when they got together as the band that we know it, like they were rehearsing like every night and uh, getting things down solid. But in a way, it did happen fairly quickly and it kind of used all their talents that they had to do it. Yeah. And Liam knows Noel's got all these songs. He knows that Oasis as it currently is. They're kind of shit. Like, I think Liam probably knows there's potential, but at least in later interviews, he's like, we were kind of shit. But he knows that Noel's got the songs and he knows that Noel's a good guitar player. And so he knows that he, I think this whole time Liam's kind of had in his head that Noel was going to come home. And he knows promoters and he knows, you know, club owners and he knows the business side. Yeah. So he asked Noel to become their manager and Noel's like, what? No. Well, okay. Maybe if you, if I write all the songs. Oh, and also 
I own you seven days a week is an apocryphal quote. We don't know if he actually said, but something like that where Noel is like, I make the decisions. I'm in charge. I write the songs. I'm Mr. Manager. I am Mr. Manager. <laughs> so they start. So Noel obviously joins the band. He's in charge. He's kind of the one hustling around town, getting them gigs. They drive all over England doing gigs for like two years, basically, until they go to Glasgow. They play a gig in Glasgow. Alan McGee, who owns a record label called Creation Records, which is like the cool indie record label at the time, hears them and is immediately like, I'm having that. And he goes up to Noel and says, do you want a record deal? And Noel says, yes. <laughs> Basically, uh, he he hands him a cassette tape. And anyway, it's fairly quickly. So in 93, uh, late 93, they get signed. And then that's when I think they play their first gig in London. They start getting bigger gigs. They're still probably supporting, but they probably start to get some headline gigs. And then they have their, well, fast forward through some of this, but they were the biggest thing coming in Manchester. And then... Um, they decide that uh, they have all this music they want to put into their first album, which becomes definitely maybe, which kind of was a whole thing, but it ends up being this very like high energy live sounding album eventually. Yeah. And that album goes absolutely, it becomes the fastest selling debut album in music, British music history. Um, That's cool. Fucking unbelievable. And so from like 94 to 97 or eight is like, bananas and we won't go i don't i don't think yeah. we should go through it all if you watch no. the uh, nebworth documentary and the supersonic documentary those are the two documentaries that like it's kind of those first three years that are just like an amazing ascent from nobodies and within three years they're doing the largest concert in british music history or in music history maybe the yeah. there are two nights at nebworth playing to like half a million people or whatever it, or a quarter million people whatever it ends up being it's like Five percent of the British population applied for tickets. They immediately sell out two nights, and they think about doing a third, but they decide not to. Then they find out what the number of people who applied for tickets they could have they could have sold out for seven nights. Uh, and it's not just some little concert hall. I mean, it is an enormous fucking uh, crazy. Yeah, yeah. That was in '96, and '96 is kind of considered their like peak popularity ever. So they had done their first two albums, definitely maybe. And what's the story morning glory, which are still considered kind of the two big Oasis albums, classic albums. They're always on like the top 10 best British albums of all time. Um, sure. depending on who's doing the list and then, um, yeah. And then you kind of get a uh, late nineties, be here now, standing on the shoulder of giants, the, the lineup, the band changes, they mm -hmm. lose Gwigsy. They, they've already lost Tony after, uh, before the first album come well, or right after whatever, they go through a few drummers. They get, they lose Bonehead, um, and they get uh, Gam and Andy. Um, mm -hmm. If you get into Oasis, you'll know who those guys are. And that, um, besides the drummers changing, that lineup lasts all the way till the end in two thousand nine. You get the sense of like in the press that that Noel and Liam have always had this kind of um, rivalry, love hate, a lot of hate, at least in the headlines in the press. Part of it is probably them talking it up. Um, part of it is real, yeah. but it, it was described by Noel a few times as like a bad marriage, but they stay together for the kids who are all the good people of the <laughs> world. We should say that also Noel might be maybe the best interview. Oh my God. One of the best public figures that you could possibly interview. He's so quotable. He's very acerbic. He's very dry. He's always happy to be there and he's always happy to talk about himself and Oasis. Yeah. 
um, or his solo stuff. But like he's even if like you hear him say like some asshole thing, you just the more you see how he interacts and how he's as a person. I mean, he's very like I love him. I mean, he's just like such an amazing it's an amazing story and he's been through like so much and it's just like such a amazing well of i don't know not just quotes but <laughs> and he, and then you forget like oh this is the guy who wrote wonder wall and live forever and don't look back in anger and talk tonight and like amazing amazing songs and also like very heartfelt like they're not and this is a time of like you know when he was starting out it's like people loved nirvana and radiohead and all these like angsty kind of emotive like teen kind of angst bands and yet they've been through so much and they're writing about how we want to live forever and we're feeling supersonic and like this intense amazing kind of outrageous optimism and you put that all in context and it's just like uh it's awesome he's amazing his uh, just speaking of his like charisma and interviews i feel like a lot of that yeah I don't know. It, it just makes me feel like um, it's something to do with being Irish, like that kind of like the storytelling, the storytelling and kind of a dark like Irish humor and Irish Catholicism, that kind of like heavy guilt ridden darkness inside. And yet going through life with like a, a laugh and a smile on your face. Yeah. There's something yeah. about that. I feel like and Noel would talk a lot about how much the summers in Ireland meant to him. It was like freedom. It, it was like you yeah. can picture this quiet internal kid in this like dark little council house watching his mother get slapped around and his dad slapping him around and then he gets like six weeks of bliss in this yeah. beautiful place where the sweeney family is like humor and music and like vivacious and, and in this beautiful setting and the you know storytelling the, oh my gosh so i feel like that part of noel's like yeah whole personality is like the ability to um, yes, yeah, uh, there's so much, I think, suppression, <laughs> emotional suppression going on, obviously. Yeah. It's like the way he talks about his abuse is like, oh, you know, it wasn't that bad. I don't think about it. And it's like, well, okay. Yeah. He's like, you can't let it affect you, which is a great outlook to have. But yeah, you can't help but think like, of course, it's affected you. <laughs> well, and then you listen to his songs and then you're like, yes, oh, there it yes. is. Yeah. yeah. You're right. It's like the, the, like the heartfelt deeply emotional nature of those songs and you know no will say like oh there's no wonder wall and they don't really mean anything it's like fuck they do yeah yeah and he does not obligated to share every bit of himself yeah. with the public i think we have to remember um yeah, so he probably absolutely. knows who his inspiration was for wonder wall but he's not gonna tell us nor maybe he shouldn't but anyways like there's a kind of manipulation with the press a little bit probably just in like just like a storyteller you know you're in his hands for a little bit and you're happy to be there basically but so there's a feeling that maybe he's he's such a great storyteller he kind of embellishes where he wants to and leaves out what he wants to Mm -hmm. andy bell said something like that like he's always been like that with the press yeah and he's used the press as much as he's needed to which is fair play as far as i'm concerned uh with the way they've the press treats, you know, its subjects. Until you ask Liam about that. So yeah, so mid to early mid 2000s, the Oasis fever and insanity has gone down. All of their studio albums went number one on the UK charts. And they were always touring. Every tour they did an American leg. Because America is like a bigger country and you sell more albums there. So if you're touring in America, it means you're doing well because there's a there's a reason to spend that money to go and promote your album. And they're selling out Times mm. Square and all that, you know, or the Madison Square Garden, whatever. Um, but it's really, I would say probably like 2005 to 2009, there's a noticeable decline in Liam's voice. 
um, yeah. which I think has, in general, yeah. has a lot to do with the end of Oasis and the, and the friction between Liam and Noel getting worse and worse and worse. Um, they're going through marriages. They're having kids. Um, but uh, at some point, I'm not sure exactly when. It seems like maybe 2006 and on or seven and on, something like that. Noel starts to just completely like travel separate from the band. Yeah. Stay yeah. in separate hotel rooms. You, hotels. Stay, stay at separate hotels. What did, what did I say? You, you said stay in separate hotel rooms. Oh, sorry, that was my Jesus <laughs> mind. <laughs> yes. We, so as far as we know, they didn't stay in the same room. <laughs> we'll get to that now. The whole band. <laughs> um, but yes, Noel is staying in a completely separate hotel from the rest of the band, traveling separate from the band in those last years. Um, and a lot. And Oasis fans will tell you that those last few years um liam's voice is really taking a toll the way liam sings is like you know it's just tough on their voice and if you look at those tour schedules yeah it's pretty insane unbelievable the amount that like he was singing just like night after night after night and he yeah he doesn't have a soft whispery voice it's like when he gives you his voice he gives pretty much all of it and he's talked before about, you know, it's not, he's having to scream over these, you know, big amps behind him and that wall of sound that Oasis is known for, combined with the fact that he sings, probably if a voice coach would be like, don't sing like yeah. that in the first place. But you you hear him on acoustic sets and stuff and he sounds so lovely. And you're like, yeah, ah. he's like, he's like, no, I say the pretty stuff for recording in the studio. And then when I, come at you at a concert it's going to be like 200 percent. yeah so we've talked about that before and which is really cool but i mean it would be rough on your voice yeah and so he yeah he sounds great on all the albums but especially the live stuff you see footage from like 2006 7 8 9 it's like it's it's kind of hit and miss hit and miss yeah 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 so um and they've gone through a few marriages noel uh i think in 2002 i don't know meets his current wife sarah mcdonald and uh, they're together at this point. Liam's uh, gone through divorce from Patsy, and he's with Nicole, um, and they've, yes. they've got kids around. So um, they're kind of developing their own lives. So by the time, I don't know, 2008, 2009 rolls around, they're just kind of living separate lives yeah. anyway, except for when they tour and they're on, when they're on stage together is really the only time they kind of see each other. And according to Liam, especially I think 2009 – Liam's story of kind of the the last few months of the band is like Noel's clearly he thinks Noel's kind of checked, out. checked out already thinking of his solo career. Although in interviews, Noel's still maintaining he's like, oh, I'll never leave the band and blah, blah, blah. So at least publicly, Noel has no plans. But according to Liam in interviews after, Noel's been planning on leaving for a long time. So we don't know what's true. And Liam also says that Noel's been kind of courting the press on tour people like um gordon smart gordon smart who at the time was working for the sun which is like this just trash rag it's a trash rag that liam still has a visceral hatred for that one in particular today yeah because they did a lot to pull probably both brothers down really but i think they sensed that like oh they're like oh noel's the articulate one liam's the hot garbage fire so uh had more of a go at Liam and he's the always the front man everybody wants to see the major things were happening in the news there would still be a Gallagher story on page one I mean it would still make room for like mad Gallagher happenings and whatever 
Yeah, especially through the like the Oasis fever and like yeah. the mid nineties. Liam, I mean, the press couldn't get enough of Liam. He's beautiful. He's wild. He says outrageous things. Like Oasis as a whole was outrageous, but especially Liam. And when Liam was dating his his first wife Patsy, like those two couldn't go out their door. There was always press at their doorstep, just hanging out. Just crazy. Um, and so that was a lot of st- stress. The press has always been stressful for Liam. There was a thing in Australia where he punched a photographer and he had to like show up for court and there was like talk of jail. I don't know yeah. how much that was, but it was bad. Um, so Liam's very leery of the press and Noel's always kind of used the press to sort of, I mean, he's just better in interviews and he's better with words. Yeah. Oh, he's a wordsmith. Yes, he's a wordsmith. And of course, if you ever see a Liam interview, you know that Liam doesn't. He's not good with words. He doesn't like words. He's always said that. You had a quote on Tumblr the other day that was great from an article where the journalist said something like, he's not stupid. And his words come out in a more immediately truthful than a, than a normal person. Which is true because then you do hear, and sometimes Liam can actually come off very clever, uh, but he just thinks differently and he's not there to- yeah. He's not there to be clever. Yeah. Um, the press has always kind of portrayed him as, as stupid, unfortunately. And Noel's been a, a part of that too. But but then you'll hear Noel kind of defend Liam. Like a journalist will say, is he stupid? And Noel's like, no, he's not stupid. Yeah. On a good day. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when they're doing well in their relationship. Like 2002 is a good year. No. 2002, 2003 was a good year for them. So Noel's very complimentary to Liam in interviews. And um, anyway, but in 2009, things were, were just bad and getting worse. And yeah, Noel's, according to Liam, let's put an asterisk, Noel's on the tour bus, kind of like drinking pink champagne with Gordon Smart and those these reporters in the dressing rooms and like kind of like telling them all the stories that, that Liam is like, why are you telling them that? Like, that doesn't make us look good or that makes yeah. me look bad. Like this lamb is like, it's supposed to be us against the world. And like, why are you going behind my back and like talking shit on me to, to the press, to your journalist buddies? Like it's supposed to be not like that. And then, um, so I think July of 2009, I th- somewhere in there, July or August, there was a show called the V Fest, um, which is, I think one of their, would be one of their last shows. They actually ended up pulling out of V Fest. According to Liam, he had laryngitis. According to Noel, Liam was hungover. And this is like a real kind of sensitive point because Liam has done both. Like he, his voice has been in bad shape to where the, he can't sing, but he's also known to be like a partier and a drinker. And he's like skipped shows or missed because of his behavior. So really yeah, both yeah. are equally plausible. But Noel says in an interview, in a press interview, that Liam was hungover, even though Liam's got a doctor's note that says he had laryngitis. And so Liam actually ends up suing. Yeah. I don't know if that's technically after the breakup, probably after the breakup. I'm not sure. I can't but that, that was yeah. like a, a sign of that things were quickly unraveling. And of course, tomorrow happens to be the anniversary, Laura. August 28th, 2009, Oasis arrives. Um, Nolan and Liam arrive separately in Paris for an Oasis show. Um, and they basically end up in a really big, horrible fight. Although Liam says it wasn't that bad, but they end up in a fight in the dressing room. Yeah. And actually, interestingly, there were three people in that dressing room that day. Noel, Liam, and Andy Bell. Oh, Gim wasn't there? It was just Andy? Uh, according to Andy, that article, he said there were three people in the room that day. 
Okay. And Andy's not a gossiper, so we'll probably never know. Well, he spoke to the Japan Times at some point and says, oh, okay. basically said that Knowles lied about a lot. And he kind oh. of corroborates Liam when he says it actually- No wonder he's not in the high flying birds. No shit. <laughs> So uh, according to Andy, it's like, he he says, I'm not going to spill the beans and tell you what it was about, but it it wasn't anything new or it wasn't particularly bad fight. Yeah. But Noel's story has always been that Liam comes into the dressing room swinging his big, beautiful red uh, Gibson Gibson 335 like an axe, quote in quotes, because it's always says like an axe, swinging at his head. And Noel says, I just decided I didn't I can't take it anymore. I don't want to work with somebody like this who's violent and blah blah blah. Yeah. Um which is true that Liam, you know, has been violent and aggressive and all that stuff. And he did smash Noel's guitar. But of course what Liam says, yes, I smashed his guitar. I didn't aim at his head. I smashed it on the ground. And also he smashed yes. my guitar first. The second guitar smash that day. The second guitar smash that day, which kind of seems to line up. So so according to Liam, that was a guitar that his – it was just an acoustic guitar. That's a nice Gibson, I, but but it wasn't the Gibson that you know gets to play lead guitar on. Oasis concert it was as nice of a guitar, and you know, of course, Liam's not the guitarist of the band, but yeah, as you're probably about to say, it was had a lot of sentimental value because it was, I guess, it was a present to him from his wife Nicole and his son Gene, and they had like signed it to him, and he it's the one he took around to play on. Yeah, he doesn't get enough credit for his songwriting because he wrote some really beautiful songs towards the I end know. of Oasis. Um, but yeah, according to Liam, Noel smashed his guitar first. And I think you pointed out recently that on an episode of Matt Morgan, there was a question from yes. a fan that says, have you ever smashed a guitar? And Noel said... Yes. Uh, not one of mine, though. And then he says, well, Matt says, whose guitar? And he says, one of Liam's. Oh, yeah, yeah. He did say that. That's right. So yep. He did specifically say, and then they they don't go into it. So he didn't say, oh, yeah, that was the guitar in Paris. But it's like, well, what other... I mean, it's possible he smashed a different guitar earlier, but... No, but it might have... I mean, it's got to be... It's got to be that one. Yeah. So we're pretty sure that Liam's telling the truth. Yeah. And Noel never denied it. He just... Ne- it's like he never included that in his recounting. Because he did this yeah. like press conference after the break. Because everybody wants yep. to know why they broke up. And he just neglected to include that bit of information. But in any case, uh, Noel walks out of the dressing room, gets in the car, and I think he – it doesn't matter, but I think maybe he flew somewhere else or I don't know. He knew it would be Madison, England, but anyway, he he gets home and it just – everything goes crazy. The rest of the band – so they cancel the show – um, yep. disappointing all those fans in Paris, which is very sad. There's like four shows left of the tour. Yeah. So they, yeah. It was very close to the end of the tour. And I think they've both said, oh, I wish we could have at least finished the tour. Yeah. They both admitted that that would have been nice to do. <laughs> yeah. That would have been nice for those fans. And, and Noel always says, well, also it would have been a great show because we were so pissed off at each other. So that energy always makes for a great show. <laughs> So in any case, Noel's done with the band. His people release some statement and the rest of the band gets together. They basically, I think according to them, they go to a pub or something. I don't know what happens, but they pretty quickly get together and be like, this is at this point, um, their latest drummer, poor Chris Sherrick, who hasn't been with them. 
I was gonna say, well, just one of my favorite stories, real quick, is that like they like the, the way to describe it is like Chris went out to get some, he like left the dressing room or something to get something to eat, and by the time he came back, it's like, oh, Oasis is done. <laughs> he was technically not part of the band. I think he was just considered like a touring musician with them because they didn't have because Zach Starkey had departed from the band or been fired. I can't remember. Now, he would have. They wouldn't have fired Zach Starkey. I think. I think he maybe he probably left to go play with the Who again or something. Probably. He, so, uh, yeah, because I think it was Zach who recorded their last album on Dig Out Your Soul. Okay. Yeah, he's on Dig Out Your Soul. Yeah. Yeah, so poor Chris Sherrick. He's not even on an Oasis album. He's just touring. He just joined. It's so exciting. And it's done. <laughs> and it's done. <laughs> Chris Sherrick, uh, Gem Archer, Andy Bell, and Liam are the four remaining members of Oasis at this point. They get together and decide, we're not, we want to keep going. You know, we can still have a band without Noel. We don't need Noel. <laughs> <laughs> you know? They get together and uh, form BDI, B-E-A-D-Y space E-Y-E, which I'm pretty sure Liam picked the name because in interviews, like he's seen having this obsession with words that are just spelled, you can say with letters. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. What a revelation for me. Yes. So I feel like Liam was like, oi, it's fun because you can say B-D-I. BDI. I don't know. It seems like something that Liam would make up, which seems to have contributed to the the poor reception for BDI. Which is crazy, actually, because you see some of those concerts and actually they're, well, I'm a huge BDI fan. I think like the first album's pretty damn good. It's got some real rockers on it, but then I think the second album's amazing. And it's not like it's Oasis part two. Like it's all the songwriting credits are shared between Andy Gem and Liam. And if they're not oasis songs, that it's like sort of like a 60s, 70s, sort of psychedelia rock kind of band. It's not really like stadium rock so much. Mm-mm. At least it's so good. So, especially on the second album. I don't know. Anyway, but it's just because to show you, I think they utilize, I think they use, utilizes Andy Bell really well because he's like an amazing musician and writer and Gem's an amazing musician and writer. And they do, they both contribute on backing vocals as well, I think. Anyway, so like because Noel's not there, it creates this vacuum and all the talent that the band has is needed. Of course, Sherrick's an amazing drummer. So I think it pulled, especially from Andy and Gem, quite a bit more um, and utilized them to their full potential. I loved, yeah, especially like you said, that second album. So they released the first album in 2011 and they just don't get the gigs they probably should be getting. Um, I think the the news of Oasis breaking up is so huge throughout 2000, because that was the end of 2009. So 2010, you know, everyone still wants to talk about Oasis breaking up probably, but the guys are in the studio recording in 2010 and then they released the album early 2011. And yeah, I think they probably tour a little bit, but not much. And then 2012, 2013 goes by. They're recording in 2013 probably, and BE comes out in June of 2013. And according to Liam, the gigs were getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And they were really hoping that the second album, they got kind of this like weird producer who is kind of- um, More experimental. More experimental. And like Laura said, BE is, I think it's like a a near perfect album. I don't know. I love it. I can't understand why some people say that it wasn't good. It yeah, was it's, it's so good. It's so good. So we highly recommend BE. Meanwhile, Big Brother has excellent reviews on his first album, and he's already, I think, like selling out the O2 Arena and all these other yeah. things. So Noel's doing fantastic. Yeah. So February 2011 is when Different Gear Still Spinning comes out. October 
is Noel's first album, Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. And so they're directly competing with each other in the same year. So that probably contributes to why BDI's kind of lukewarm reception. Pick your Gallagher. Pick your Gallagher. So Noel's touring 2012, 2013. He's doing great. He's got his family. He's got his two sons have been born by this time that Liam's never met either son, which is sad. Um, Liam's personal life. Um, Liam is in that time married to Nicole and he's in New York and he meets this woman named Liz Gorbani, who's an American journalist. Liam sleeps with her, has an affair with this woman. And as they're getting ready to release B.E., I think the news hits right after, like June is when the album comes out. I have here written July is when the affair goes public. <laughs> you just picture like Gim and Andy just going, oh. Oh my God. Uh, also at the same time in August, Gim fractures yeah. his skull in a freak fall down a set of stairs. BDI has to cancel, cancel their gig at V-Fest. So okay. V-Fest seems to not be a good gig for them. And they cancel the remaining gigs in August. They wait for Gem to recover. So at this time, Liam's all over the headlines. Love child. Obviously, he and Nicole are um, going to get divorced. I, be I believe it was actually Liam who initiates the divorce because yeah. obviously he's cheating because he's just not into his marriage anymore. Not the way to do it, but whatever. Yeah. He's possibly dating or seeing or flirting with Debbie at this point. All, all the wonderful cliches, but you know, it turns out okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Debbie's in the mix there somewhere. I should say that, yeah, Liam not only has an affair with this woman, he impregnates her. So yes. that's why the news hits. So Liam, to this day, does have a daughter he's never met. Her name is um, Gemma, I think. Gemma, Gemma. I'm thinking it's probably Gemma. I don't know. Um, so this woman, Liz Gorbani, um, sues Liam for child support, like 2 or $3 million in child support. Liam's also going through his divorce where Nicole's like, I mean, Nicola comes off as like the sweetest person, but she's yeah. basically like, you've humiliated me sure. in the press. Yeah. You've lied to me. You have ruined our marriage. So she is not holding back. She wants half of everything. So Liam is unraveling in his personal life, sadly. His band's not doing well. His brother's not talking to him. Yeah. Uh, they haven't still haven't spoken in 2013 from 20, 2009 when the breakup. Um but you get the impression that maybe part of that early on was Liam just angry. Because, you know, his band got broken yeah. up. So he was angry about it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the album doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Liam's personal life is imploding. Uh, Gam gets injured. And then in September again, Gim, while recovering from his head injury, actually breaks his leg. But they do end up managing to recover in November for a show in which Dublin, which is crazy. I think there's even a cool show in there where uh, Bonehead actually plays yeah. at a BDI gig. And it's like, there's a cute photo with Gim and Bonehead. Like, it was sweet. Um, but things uh, just totally fall apart in 2014. Um, BDI cancels a Coachella appearance in April. They have no U.S. gigs booked. They Their management also, I think they fire their manager, something like that. Yeah. Um, Liam's divorce goes through, uh, Andy Bell starts, he's kind of been in contact oh, yeah. with his former band ride and ride wants to reform and it just, everything's in fucking yeah. pieces. And so in October, I think without a phone call, uh, Liam announces on Twitter that BDI is no more. Thank you for the support, blah, blah, blah. BDI is done. So this is Liam's low point at the end of 2014. 
And then Debbie comes along. And I'm sorry, I know I'm spending so much time on this timeline, but it does kind of explain everything. So um, 2014, BDI is done. Liam, um, from 2014 to 2016, it's basically drinking. Yeah. But uh, growing in his relationship with his now girlfriend, Debbie. And then it's in 2015, uh, this YouTube video of Liam appears cool. on YouTube, which you showed me, I think, because um, it's in that documentary, As You Were. Yeah. And Liam's just in this pub and it's bad sound quality and he's kind of drunk. It doesn't sound amazing, but it's a new song. People go crazy on the internet. She could tell it's a good song, though, I think. I think so, too. Yeah, there's Bold and then he starts to go into um, When I'm in yeah. Need. Yeah. When I'm in Need. Yeah. So these two songs, great songs that he's written himself. Hmm. So undoubtedly, you think, oh, Noel's got to be watching this. Um, Noel haven't spoken in 2015. Uh, Noel releases his second album, Chasing Yesterday. Uh, but uh, somebody from Warner, I think, contacts, or Debbie's already, like, I don't know if she's ever managed anyone before. But she is the one, I think, who is like, starts to help Liam get these meetings. And she's pushing him. She's like, you need yeah. to do music. Because also, Liam's financials were not good at this point after the divorce and the child support thing. So he's on Twitter dogging Noel about an Oasis reunion because he knows yeah. he needs money. And if he can't afford a house in London without that money. He's an emotional tweeter. That's a whole podcast episode in itself is Liam's tweets. But uh, the Oasis reunion is not happening He's talking to Debbie like he might have to go buy a house in France or Italy or something. And she's like, if you do that, I will not be going with you. Uh, yeah, is, really? is apparently what she, how she reacted. Great. So she's like, you need to get yourself out of this. And Liam starts waking up at like three in the morning and just playing his guitar. And he starts Ooh. to write these songs. And he talks to Warner about it, uh, music about it. And they say, how many songs do you got? He says, two. And they're like, you can't make it up with two. And he says, yes, that is correct. And they said, would you mind working with other songwriters? And he says, I love working with songwriters. That's what I did in Oasis. <laughs> so they set him up with Greg Kirsten and Andrew Wyatt, and they make this album As You Were. And actually, there are several songs that Liam wrote uh, himself. And uh, I, I don't know how they promoted this, but it basically is an unbelievable success. People miss Liam. Yeah. He's a fucking legend in, in England. And people are just hungry for... I think authenticity and attitude yeah. and like rock and roll. And it's just like a total smash hit. And thanks to maybe the break and maybe he's developing better habits, but his voice is back and better than ever. Yes. It's amazing. People's like, reception was like, I cannot believe how good he sounds. Um, yeah. So, uh, so that comes out in October of 2017. What comes out in November of 2017? <laughs> Noel's third album Who Built the Moon it's kind of funny that they both come out at the same time so the Twitter thing kind of starts to escalate I think probably between Noel and Liam I think Noel probably stops social media mostly I mean his people are yeah. doing it but uh, 2019 Liam does his second album Why Me Why Not uh, it's got some beautiful stuff on that all his albums are full of songs that you're like oh that's about Noel personal so personal um, one of us specifically yeah. Did you know, today, 16 years ago, it was you and I for the last time. I know, 
know, on Knowles, you kind of have to like search through the lyrics and you're like, that that part about the songbirds is probably about Liam, or this about the bitch keeps bitching, that's probably about Liam. <laughs> yeah. But on yeah. uh, Liam's, you're just like, oh, okay. This one's about This is Noel. all, this is all about Noel. <laughs> yep. Come back to me. Come back to me, basically. <laughs> they still have not spoken to this day is the big thing with the Gallagher's. Apparently still have not spoken. 2019 was a really bad year for them because there was this whole thing on Twitter where at, uh, so Liam played Glastonbury, Noel's wife, Sarah, which lots of um, Liam fans do not particularly like Sarah. <laughs> we don't know how much of that is uh, imagined or if she's actually a bad person. I'm sure it's, she's not. I don't know. <laughs> we'll talk about that in fan fiction. Oh my gosh. Anyway. Anyway, they don't get along. They don't get along. They hate each other. Uh, Liam has uh, said many, many times that she's a witch and that she's basically making the prospect of an Oasis reunion and a reconciliation between Liam and Noel even worse. He blames her that Noel's not talking to Liam. He blames a lot of that on Sarah. So it's kind of a Yoko thing, but we don't know how much is true or not true. There's some suspect stuff I think that she said or that has happened that I probably think she's not helping the case, but also she hates Liam and Liam hates her. And that's at least public fact. Yes. <laughs> Liam's playing Glasto in 2019. Uh, someone on Sarah's Instagram says, hey, are you sticking around to see Liam? And she says something about that fat twat. I think I'll swerve his show. He'll look pretty dated after s- Stormzy or something. Stormzy. She called him a tribute act. A fat twat and a tribute act. Oh, so she says that publicly on her Instagram. Yeah. Um, somebody screenshots it and it gets back to Liam. Liam at this time does not have Noel's number. They are not in contact at all, but he does have his niece Aeneas's number, Noel's daughter. So Liam texts, he texts Aeneas and basically he says, um, tell your stepmom to watch it. To I yeah, as we've talked about, we think to Liam that was actually a like he wasn't saying it publicly. And it was he wasn't in any way threatening his niece, but it was at the end of the day he's dragging his niece into this thing, which I mean, probably I would have guessed that Noel's probably never been angrier. Oh man maybe than anything. It was real bad. Aeneas probably screenshotted that and sent it to Noel. Noel and or Sarah, probably Noel is the one who puts it out publicly. It looks really bad, bad. obviously. Um, And then Noel has this uh, a public response that he writes in this this like little notepad screenshot that he posts. It's it's awful. Accused of like like intimidating women, so he brings that into it. Threatening my family. He's like in since interviews, he said, "Oh, like he's Liam's threatened my kids." Which is not... It's not true. As far as we can tell, it's not really true and doesn't really track with any oppression of Liam. I don't know. Of course, we're coming at this from outsiders, but it seems like something that Noel has interpreted from this event and then he's, yeah, extrapolating from that. Yeah. He basically took that as you're coming at my family and fuck you. Like, if there was any chance, yeah, if there's any chance of reconciliation, you just killed it. Nail in the coffin. Fuck off forever. Yeah, ironically enough, you know, Noel actually does tend to look back in anger <laughs> quite, quite a bit. Uh, he's not the forgiving type. It's yes. like his thing he talks about. He's like, I don't really do forgiveness. You're just like, what? Yeah. Which actually... Which sucks because I feel like Liam forgives pretty immediately sometimes. 
Uh, hold on. I was just trying to think of... Um, I did say Who Built the Moon came out in 2017. Is that right or was that 2019? I think you might be right. I think the EPs came out in 2019. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because um, I was going to say... Uh, one, you know, one thing that had sort of given me hope was, um, the song dead in the water, um, which seems to me to be explicitly about Liam, which Noel would never acknowledge, even if it was, or if it was not, it's just like, no, it's not about anything like that. Yeah. We don't know. It's the lyrics are basically like, um, don't walk away. Don't walk away. Love. It's never enough. It's never enough. Uh, will not rest while our love lies dead in the water. Something like that. So it's like basically uh, a subject talking about someone who's, um, it's just like love on the rocks. And Noel's relationship, as far as we can tell with Sarah, is very solid and very good. And so the only person who's um, he was close with who is no longer close with is Liam. So it's like, yeah. I don't know. But then I forgot that, that he wrote that in 2017 and that happened in 2019. So that actually depresses me that. Damn. It's like, oh, well, now it's even deader in the water. Deader in the water. <laughs> um, this is the next they said. But then, you know, the recent single he just released was like trying to find a world and spin and go on. And he says um, it's a COVID song. But who knows? Stupid. The thing is, like, you don't know okay. these guys. Their emotions are we what they are. Know. But two years later, everything could change. And it's it, fun to look into the lyrics. It doesn't mean it's true. We're mostly having fun, I should say. But um, it is hard to imagine that someone like that could write songs like that and have no personal meaning in them. So it's like, well, truth is always between, you know, not yes, trying to make truth claims. But it is fun to look into it and think, like, maybe that's a little bit of Liam in that. Or maybe that's a little bit of whatever. Yeah. Well, so where we are, where we are at now is that uh, Liam's had a hell of a year. He just released his third album. Come on, you know it. Smashed it. Smashed it. Went number one. He's basically this year kind of um, coming back to those big sh- 1996 shows. So he played uh, Manchester City's home stadium, the Etihad. He played yeah. that, sold that out. Um, I believe I think he sold it out. He sold out two sure nights at Nebworth. The which when they say sold out, it's just how many tickets they decide to book. Yeah. So it wasn't as big of a show as Oasis, but it was eighty thousand people a night. So he sold approximately one hundred and sixty thousand tickets over two nights. Yeah, which I think Oasis was like a like one hundred twenty five thousand a night or something, something incredible and impossible. But still, eighty thousand a night, not too shabby. Yeah, especially these days. Um, yeah, you know, coming out of COVID and stuff. So, and Liam's touring right now. Um, and Noel has recorded his fourth LP, and that'll be coming out in twenty twenty three. Yeah, and there's excited. there's really nothing um, publicly to give us hope of uh, them talking again soon. But yeah. um, you just never know. So drama, drama. So I know we've been talking uh, over an hour and a half, so we won't drag it on too much. But really, let's get into just real quick. um, I had this whole thing where we were going to go through certain songs to pick out certain lyrics. Um, That's okay. Yeah, I don't think we need to do that. But let's just talk about we've talked about what's great about the band and what we love about the band. But that's real life. Right. And so you and I, whenever we get obsessed with something, it becomes fan fiction. It has to relate to fan fiction absolutely, because we're obsessed with it. We need to get it out. And so <laughs> neither of us, I think, have really been into RPF before. Although with my Beatles obsession in 2013, I did do some reading and maybe some brief but unfinished, unposted writing 
for uh, about John Lennon and Paul McCartney, but this has become a whole thing. So yeah, uh, this is our first RPF obsession. Yeah, shame on me. I was all judging about it. Like I've been everything I've gotten into, I've judged beforehand is weird, and then I just get into it. And I'm like, ah, yeah, <laughs> yes. So RPF, real person fiction, as you say, it has like a taboo about it. I think for a lot of fan fiction writers kind of look down on it. And the usually the main sticking point is like that it muddies the waters between reality and fiction. And right. since it involves real people, there's like a problematic moral aspect to like writing fiction about real people. And I think before I'd ever really thought deeply about that, I had s- sort of a certain surface attitude yeah. that 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 could like because it seems weird it does seem weird just be frank about it yeah but i think uh, as i've gotten into rpf now with oasis and thought about it more you know you never really form good opinions until you're motivated enough to think about something but um the way i think about rpf now is to me there is no problematic moral aspect about it unless you're doing something no. weird and like shoving it in front of like real people's faces um, yeah yeah. If if you are posting it on a fan fiction site as fan fiction versus publishing it as an article in the sun, you know, it's like there's a lot of journalism that might as well be fan fiction out there, but it makes truth claims that uh, fan fiction should never make and really does never make as long as it's posted on, um, you know, or, uh, to me, if it's posted on archive of our own or fanfiction.net, you shouldn't even need to make a disclaimer, but some people do, you know, this has nothing to do with the real lives, but um yeah, if it's posted as fan fiction, there's really no, you don't really need to defend it because it's just literally fan fiction. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I don't think there's any reason to post a disclaimer if you've got it on AO3. You certainly can if it makes you feel comfortable. But I feel like the RPF world, we're too defensive about it. It's like yeah. we're in our own sandbox over here. We're making no truth claims. We the, There's a whole separate kind of tin hatting thing that becomes kind of a, a part of the fun and the obsession of being into a certain RPF fandom and obsessing about a band, of course, you're going to start to think, oh, well, maybe this happened or what if this happened? Or especially if you're pairing these personas of these people together, you're going to kind of obsess about what might have actually happened. And it because it because the real life events kind of become your canon to play yeah. with and mess <laughs> around with and explore. And that's part of it. And that is part of the compelling part is that, no, this stuff actually really happened. But... If you're, I think pretty much, uh, it's very rare for an RPF author to like not be very conscious of the fact that all this real life research you're doing. If you have a mental break in the middle of writing it and you think you're actually writing real life, then, you know, that's a separate issue altogether. But the idea that like fan fiction writers don't realize that this is just fiction. And while these are based on real people and might share their names, there's no truth claims as to, oh, this is a reflection of reality. Certainly not on our part. Yeah. I mean, I think the more I look into it, the more I listen to music, the more I am convinced. We haven't even talked about Jesus particularly, which is the more you look into the music and especially press interviews and their behavior, which really, they act more <laughs> like a divorced couple than strange brothers. I mean, honestly, the more I get into it, the more I'm sort of convinced that something actually did happen. But that is, that is just my personal opinion. And I make no claims as to knowing what happened. I can speculate and think that like, 
wow, that's really kind of crazy that like uh, at that Lock Lawman gig that Noel and Liam stuck their tongues down each other's throats um, <laughs> in front of 80,000 people. It was brotherly. Oh, oh, they were on cocaine. Oh, interesting. You think Coke makes you want to snog your brother? I've not that I've done Coke, but I have, you know, been on, you know. Sure, Sarah, sure. <laughs> anyone who's been drunk knows and drugs and alcohol it alters your state of mind usually in a way that takes down your inhibitions and makes you do things that you have always wanted to do but always thought oh, yeah. i should not say do that things you wouldn't normally say but you're not you're not doing yeah. things that you normally would would not have any desire to do I don't think cocaine makes you want to stick your tongue down your brother's throat. I, I don't see that happening to me. If I start some coke, I'm going to want to kiss my brother when I normally wouldn't. So there's like, you know, there's things like that where I'm like, oh, there's something strange about this relationship. And so even if I personally think that it did happen, um, what I'm doing with my own personal Jesus fan fiction is it's almost like therapy for me. And it's like, I'm not going to, if I want to write a scene, I do try and graft it onto real life events as much as possible because it's actually, it's just like canon. Like we want it to feel like real, yeah. the actual characters are familiar and all that good stuff and have their similitude. So I do go to a lot of effort to kind of situate things in a way that you could believe like maybe it did happen. But in those scenes, in that dialogue, those are my characters and they're the voices that are kind of based on these real life people. But I'm not going to like, I don't know, they're going to say what I, the, the story kind of, just shapes up to be like any other fictional story for me. So yeah. you're still approaching it like a fiction writer. Yes, exactly. It's, it is. It's true that the the waters are a little muddy because, um, yeah, like I personally believe something probably did happen of a romantic or sexual nature. The way that Liam talks about Noel is just, it's like uh, Matt Morgan said, it's the worst breakup. And he's like, He's in love with his brother and he doesn't know how to fix it. And that's why he acts out like that. Like, that's my personal belief. I'm not one of those yeah. people that's like, oh, it definitely didn't happen. I just wish it did. Like, I kind of think it did happen. But also, something. Yeah. I, uh, I'm i never going to make a like a like an assertion. Like a truth that, claim. Yeah, I don't know what you would call that. As long as it's in fan fiction, it's like, that's my world. And I'm not going to worry about, like, some people say, they're like, oh, well, what if someone finds your fan fiction and sends it to Noel's kids or something? It's like. Well, that's uh, that's not my fucking problem. That's not my fucking problem. That sounds harsh, but it's like I'm not going to not write my fanfic just because some shithead kid's yeah. going to bother to get an AO. Well, actually, you don't have to have an account. You could, <laughs> you could, I could if I was worried about that or cared more. I would probably lock my works. But also, it's a small fandom. I want to get as many kudos as I can. That sounds bad. <laughs> Whatever. But for some shithead kid to like bother to go find GSS fiction and then like who happens to be a classmate or something of like Sonny Gallagher and is like it's like that would suck I'm sorry but also this is like I'm just a a person trying to pay my bills and my happiness comes from fan fiction and that's not going to stop me from writing it it's not for them it's for me and for other fan fiction fans you know when a published author writes a thing featuring Teddy Roosevelt like Alienist he uses Teddy Roosevelt and the serial killer uh, murder investigation, you know, like that's fan fiction. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. It's like, yeah, we were talking about the other day. It's like, and that, and that person's making money off of it. Yes. So there's no profit being made whatsoever here. No money being made, not off this podcast and not off fan fiction. You're, you're, you're not making money. Kirk, Kirk. <laughs> I, uh, uh, no. <laughs> 
I'm not making money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no one's making any money here. We do it for the love of doing it, just like we do in fan fiction. It's just that real life events become our canon. And also there's like that weird layer of like, um, Nolan Liam Gallagher are almost, they know what they're doing in the public eye, which is creating a persona of themselves. So even if I feel like I understand the persona of Liam Gallagher, I'm never going to understand who he is personally. But they're too good to not write about. <laughs> God damn, it's true. They're too quotable. They're too uh, charismatic and vibrant. And no, she, but yeah, they do make good subjects. They do. They make amazing subjects. And um, yeah, just like you said about the alienist thing, it's like what was one of the biggest movies of this year was Elvis. Yeah, that's. Straight up fan fiction. I can't imagine Baz Luhrmann is too worried about like sinking down into every real life detail. Like if he wants to make something flashy, he's going to take artistic license and do that. Yeah. And he takes, he takes all kinds of artistic licenses. He'll, he puts contemporary music in, in, uh, you know, historical scenes, like as part of like their dancing to like a hip hop song, basically. Yeah. Stuff like that, which people don't care about because it's like just stylistic, but. I'm sure some of those interactions that he paints on screen are, you know, they, there's no way he knows everything that happens. So he's taking artistic liberties to tell a story. Yeah. The primary function of that movie is to tell a story and just to make, you know, sort of light a fire in people's imaginations about what Elvis might've been like, what he might've gone through. I think because he's making money and because it is a movie that is a commercialized way of, you know, telling a story or whatever, like there is more of an incentive to tell quote unquote the truth so it's he's not just going to make a and he calls it a biopic so there are claims within a biopic that are to be met that says this reflects basically reality and even though he could take artistic license there is more responsibility for him but as a fan fiction writer posting on a fan fiction site making no money whatsoever uh there's no reason to carry that burden no, I mean you. You certainly can. Like, there's yeah, probably some fan fictions that are. There's probably some fan fictions out there that are. Um, what do you call it? Just like uh, I, I'm missing a word here. But that that try the author try very very hard to only yeah. write something that they think might have really happened. But and I, I think that makes for better storytelling. But I, I guess my point is just be that burden of truth is not on us. Yeah, as fan fiction writers. Yes, absolutely, I agree. So there is uh, Oasis Vic out there that uh, has nothing to do with a romantic relationship between brothers. Um, However, the majority of it does. (laughs) And that's what we're into. Um, It's interesting. And particularly, and I don't know if it's all band fic or if it's more prevalent in RPF, but the English chunk of the works is probably about half. Right. I don't. I don't know how much what the numbers end up being. Is I think it's four hundred some works out of seven hundred some works. So maybe a little over half. But there is a ton of I think especially Chinese uh, language, yeah. uh, Japanese as well. But a lot of um, a big Asian presence in the fandom, which is kind of neat because yeah. it sort of you know puts you in the boots a little bit of uh, a non English speaking fan fiction fan who has to like wade through all these English fics to like. Right. <laughs> you know, finally it's like, oh, how inconvenient. This is how it feels, yeah. Which is still the majority. It's still over half, I think, is uh, English written. But um, but yeah, the fic is good. A lot of it centers around uh, Nolan Lee when they were kids and what that life might have been like before Oasis. Or teenagers. Or teenagers. Yeah. yeah, I shouldn't say children. Not so much children. It's flirting with the underage thing, but whatever. <laughs> um, but the kind of that just being kind of poor and uh, – 
still dreaming your rock dreams in Manchester at that time. And then you kind of have the the Oasis era stuff. And then you have kind of reconciliation fic, like after the rift, like what would it be like if they started talking again and maybe got into a relationship again? So that's kind of what I'm interested in. I, I always seem to gravitate toward the 50-year-old men in love thing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's, that's what I'm doing right now. So I think the work that's out there, it is good. There's not a ton of it. There's maybe 400 some works, like I said, in the English uh, null slash Liam tag. Like there's good, bad, and ugly in any genre yeah. at all, but we found some good ones that we like. Yes, we did. So um, maybe we should just talk about that. Maybe some of our recs. Should we maybe just do some thick recs and then maybe to close out, we'll just list off yeah. some recommended music? Yeah. Okay, let's do that. Let's do that. All right, thick recs. So um, it was actually pretty hard for me to pick out. I said pick three to five. For some reason, I only picked four. I could definitely pick five. And I had to work around yours because I, I do like yours. I know. And there's, God, there's just some great stuff. Like, I don't even have one on here by Man's Got a Limit. Did you do? Oh, we didn't. Oh, I didn't either. Man's Got a Limit. I'll make that my first pick. There's a Liam and Noel Go to Paris. There's one of their, I'll, I'll find that and um, put it on the list. Um, anything by Man's Got a Limit. Yeah, that's funny because we were just talking about how good uh, they are. and. Uh... Uh, yeah, they've got several. I think everything that they do is great. Oh, very good. Yes. There's a work in progress that they wrote where um, a young, like a 20-year-old Liam just shows up on present-day Noel's doorstep. Oh, man. I wish that was updated so bad. I know. It's so good. They will do what they will do, but I do love kind of timeline jumping premises or time travel premises. Yeah, it really, it's like, especially for someone like Noel, whose characterization that we have as fans is like, he's the kind of this buttoned up, he's like, got it together. He's like, very kind of put together on the outside, but we see him constructed his life at this point. He's constructed himself, you know? Yeah. And so for someone like Liam, who has no difference really between their inward and outward personas to show up at that age where everything was starting to happen for them and everything that Noel is wanting to forget is like physically in front of him. That's the appeal of that story. So yeah, I'll find that and put it on the list. Uh, my first pick, maybe we'll go back and forth. Sure. You do your first pick then. Um, I picked uh, just a drabble. It's pretty short. I think it's like 400 words. Just from the early days, it's called Cantor by Cancelable. And mm-hmm. uh, everything by that author is excellent. Also an excellent author name called Cancelable. But um, yes, Cantor is the first one. And I don't, can't really describe it because I don't want to give away if it's, if it's 400 words. Yeah. Give it away pretty quickly, but it's very well written. Um, I do like that kind of pre-Oasis era. Yeah. Should we say the line we like out of that one or should we leave that? Oh, I think we should leave that. Yeah. It, it just, so I should say it has probably, I've said before, one of my favorite lines in all of fan fiction that I've read. It's so simple, but so heartbreaking. Yes. Yes. So it's one of those like, oh, I wish I'd written that. Why didn't I write that? Ugh, so good. Yeah. Um, my second pick is a really fun one. It's called A Lot Like Gravity by Redhead Among Wolves. This is a totally out of left field, uh, or it's, it's just very unique. So it's a superhero AU. Um, so this is especially fun for someone like, uh, people like me and Laura who come out of the DC fandom. Um, so Noel is basically kind of a, sort of a Batman figure, but he used to be in a superhero partnership with Liam. (laughs) And they were called Oasis. And it's like it casts this whole Britpop scene as this like a kind of um, sort of superhero movement in in the UK that came out. And so I think like 
they might mention Blur or somebody. I can't remember. Amazing. Like, <laughs> oh, or no, or no, Noel came out of this um, superhero kind of collective called the Inspiral Carpets, something <laughs> like that. It all should be just silly, but it's actually really good. It's so um, it's so well written, and so this kind of superhero AU is extremely well constructed. But at the heart of it, it's still like got the heartbreak of the breakup of them and the angst of a previous emotionally turbulent kind of incest thing that they used to have that Noel really uh, carries a lot of guilt about, but that Liam is like, no, no, we're just in love. Like, what's wrong with you? Why can't we be together? And, um, but anyway, they're kind of, they're broken up and they're, they're doing their own separate heroing, just like their own separate solo careers now. So it's just so, so well-written and it's so much fun. And if you like GSS and especially if you like any kind of comic book genre, uh, you must read a lot like Gravity. It's wonderful. Yes, indeed. Uh, I probably wasn't supposed to pick this one, but my next pick is by an author called Story Shark 2005. It's called Trying to Find a World That's Been and Gone. It's a reconciliation fic. I'd say the other kind of big, long fic that was already written was GV's um, The Death of Peggy Gallagher. Yeah. Uh, which is very good, but uh, I do love this one, uh, written by our esteemed host here. Um <laughs> And it's uh, it does use the coma trope, I guess you'd say. Liam gets uh, put in a coma, which, yes, sounds cliche, but like all great authors, they, you can use any trope well, then it will be used well, and it will be a, a wonderful fic. It's a beautiful, long fic. It's obviously happy ending because she doesn't write uh, not happy endings because I wouldn't read it if it didn't have a happy ending. Um, and it's mostly Noel's point of view. There's an amazing Liam point of view section. Um, and it uses the timeline very well to me. And, uh, I think it's like a believable picture of years as the years have gone by in this relationship and, uh, uh, optimistic looking forward. And, uh, I really, really love it. And it was written because I dragged her into this uh, <laughs> world and that's why I do it. So I can have fic written for me. So thank you. Ah, oh, you're welcome. You helped out with that too. Um, a bit, a bit. Yeah, it's basically like I said, it's like my therapy because I like this pairing and this, not even the Jesus stuff, yeah. but just the thought of them never talking again. I wait, I wake up with chest pain and think about what if one of them dies? What if one what of if something, something happens, happens to them? <laughs> like, they're just, I know, it's just, it's not good for us. They have to talk again, they have to. But can you imagine the joy that we will have if they do talk? <laughs> you, I mean, there have been fans in it, in the trenches, waiting for this since 2009. Right. I can't imagine what they've gone through. I was going to say, it's not necessarily just about Oasis. Like, no. To me, it's just like, if they could just get along and love one another as brothers again, uh, it would give me so much joy. Oh, Oh my God. So anyway, that was my therapy is the reconciliation style fic. Like <laughs> what would it take to get Noel to come back? Maybe his brother getting smacked by a car and going to a coma. Smacked by a car. That might do it. <laughs> it's really well written though. Yeah. Uh, thanks, sister. Uh, well, my third pick is uh, Let Me Be the One by Savage and Wise. Um, I found Savage and Wise actually years ago in the McLennan fandom. She's oh, written yeah. some amazing Paul and John fics and she understands those characters so well. I think like a lot of Oasis GSS fans, they probably a lot of them started out in the McLennan world. Right. But um, I just found Let Me Be the One. Savage has been an incredibly uh, prolific author that's written a lot uh, in the GSS fandom. So one of those authors that 
we're so grateful to because they've they've built the body of works that we have um, and, and been a big author in that world. Um, but let me be the one I think was one of the earlier fix, I believe, um, that she wrote. And it's really like it's like a psychological excavation yeah. of um, that dynamic. And it's in second person point of view. Like it's written like the first line is the way you see it. There's the rest of the world. And then there's you. Yes. Which when with a good author, man, it's hard to beat actually like when not well used, it's like the worst, yes. but when well used, it's like the best kind of fiction. And I think usually when it's well used, it's like a person talking to themselves and trying to sort out their internal, yeah, um, what's going on with themselves. Yeah. When it's well done, it's so effective. And um, I think it's all from Liam's second person point of view. Yeah. And it kind of ends, it like takes place when things are getting really mad, kind of leading up to be here now, but it leads up to kind of the, uh, the Lock Lomond kiss, I think. Um, it just leads up to the Lock Lomond kiss and everything with kind of going on with Liam and Noel uh, personally and kind of um, Liam's engagement to Patsy and just this yeah. horrible kind of wonderful push pull that they have trying to, Noel sort of dealing with the guilt and all that shit and it's i thought it was going to have a really sad ending but ending with that um lock lamicus which is really beautiful and it's um it's just well written and it's uh yeah it's great and it's a it's a part of a little series called um you can take me there and so there's a few yeah that's great i think there's like four or five works uh five works in that series a beautiful writer yeah um oh yeah okay so my next one is great it looks like i have sort of two gv fix on here but my first one i picked was razor blade very sexy i know it's very sexy <laughs> very spicy uh it's not super long but it's just again the kind of early days liam's probably a teenager because he's just uh getting to where he needs to shave i guess and then just kind of has a snapshot of a certain kind of dynamic uh, pre-romantic I guess you'd say but full of sexual tension yes very good at that <laughs> it's very good yes um, I don't know what else to say about it without giving stuff away but you should definitely read I think it. You, I think it's safe to say that Noel teaches Liam how to sh- shave his face for the first time yep <laughs> that's that's the fig in a sexy way yeah oh that one is very sensual it's great <laughs> um my next fic is uh, Don't You Know Your Life Itself by Liam Knoll. Liam Knoll was a big author um, just, a, just a couple of years ago. I don't think they've done anything real recently. I hope they come back because they tend to do explicit and they do it really, really well. Yeah. But this one in particular is kind of a stylistic, like short kind of choppy scenes. And it's all, I think, pre-band or young, young Gallagher's, maybe to like write pre-band but Noel's with Louise and it's kind of like a Noel point of view where uh, you see him like at the beginning in this museum with Louise and it's just kind of contrasting how his interactions with Liam and they are sleeping together at this point um, differ from how his relationship with Louise is and you just get a sense that he's just a truer version of himself when he's with Liam yeah, which I love. <laughs> and it kind of contrasts it's like how it uses this function of like how Louise looks at these paintings in a museum and how she sees art with how Liam interacts with this formal art and how he interacts with music. And he's just 
comes off as very, I don't know, immediate and authentic and very Liam. And it's just a beautiful piece. So it's nice. I like it. Um, yeah, I've, I guess I've got a lot of early days because then my next one is called You and I Are Gonna Live Forever by Stripey Sock. And it's sad because this is the only Oasis fic from this author. But they are, they're very prolific. I kind of all kinds of genres or uh, fandoms that they've written in. But um, kind of a first kiss uh, fic. I just thought like uh, very beautifully and sharply written early band days. So like Liam would be like 19 or 20, I think. And then so Noel would be closer to like 25, somewhere in there. Um, just, yeah, very good at writing the tension, um, different dynamics that are going on and not real long either, only 2000 words, but another high recommend. I just remember being so disappointed that they didn't have any others in the fandom. That's the worst. We find an author. You're like, yeah, let me read out everything. And then you're like, oh, that was everything. Yeah. The dialogue's really good. The descriptions are great. Yeah. Yeah. When you find someone that can write Liam and all dialogue, it's a thing is like. Because they, they're so distinctive in how they talk and the, the Mancunian thing is unique. Yes. Ugh. Um, my last, my fifth pick is Candy Floss Heart, also by oh, GB. It's so good. This one, it's not even a, it's... It's like G-rated. Yeah, it's G-rated and it's almost stretching it to even call it G-sess, but the, the feelings of that are there. Yeah, so if you are turned off by even the idea of G-sess, you should just read this one because it is a genfic. Yeah, you could put on your glasses and read it as we are or you don't have to could just be brothers for sure it's so beautiful it's basically the premise is that you're in sunny gallagher's point of view sunny is noel's youngest so we didn't say noel has an a daughter named aeneas with a with his previous wife and then he has two boys with his current wife sarah and that's donovan and sunny so sunny's the youngest and this takes place in spring of 2016 so obviously right in the middle of the rift and Sonny gets lost. He gets separated from his dad and his brother when they're at the zoo. And he just happens to stumble into Liam, his uncle Liam, who he's never met, sitting on a bench. And um, uh, it's just oh, a wonderful so interaction between them, between two people that are family, but that have never met before. Yeah. And two people that know a lot about each other without having met each other. And... Um, you know, an uncle finally getting to be an uncle for just a couple of minutes to his nephew. It yeah. makes me want to cry just talking about it. And it's like, by all accounts, uh, Noel's included. Liam is excellent with children. I mean, he's kind of childlike himself. But um, there's some great interview out there where Noel's talking about how good of a father mm. and how natural of a father uh, Liam is actually compared to Noel. Noel says something like, oh, I think I'm going to be really good when they're teenagers and I can interact with them sort of like as an adult they said yeah he's like uh liam's kids are like his best friends and he's just very natural father which tracks completely with any i don't know as soon as you get to know more about liam um even as an outsider but um i think that's why that works so well too because if he's a wonderful father he'd be an amazing uncle uh, as well. especially because uncles have less like uh, important responsibilities <laughs> yeah just like a grandparent you can be like silly and a little irresponsible just yeah like your funny uncle it makes me so sad that liam hasn't met donovan and sunny especially yes. because there's another layer with there being two brothers liam and Noel both have two sons that are very close in age um donovan and sunny are i think within two or three years of each other and uh liam's sons 
Lennon and Jean are like a year or two. Like a year and a half or something. Yeah. And they're and Lennon and Jean are super close. Uh Donovan and Sonny, they're younger, and Nolan and Sarah are pretty protective of them. So you don't really see them in the press. Um, but by all accounts, they're just yeah. like normal close brothers. And so you have this like this like reflection of what Lamanol could be in their sons. Yeah. Even with the divorces and stuff with Liam, like in spite of all that, his boys have still had a more functional childhood than he ever did. He and Noel ever did. Yeah. And there are Liam's, um, and there's the sad case of like him not knowing Gemma in New York. And he's only recently had a relationship no. with his oldest daughter, Molly. So it's funny because they both have their first kids were both girls and then they had two sons. And so Noel, Noel definitely had interactions with Gene and Lennon when they were younger but probably around like 2005-ish, it seems like a lot of that fell off. And um, so it's just sad that Gene and Lennon don't have an uncle anymore, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I know that pain gets trickled down because not only do Noel and Liam not talk, of course, but I mean, who knows really? Maybe the cousins do talk, but there would at least be some increased difficulty with that, I would think. Yeah. Um, oh, it's sad. Anyway, the Candy Floss Heart, it's gorgeous. Well, let's close out by going back from fic life to real life. Music. I kind of want to play some clips. So I don't know if we'll play clips of all of them. That would be a lot, I guess. But I've kind of had us pick our top three Oasis songs, our top three Liam solo songs, and our top three Noel solo songs. Let's just talk about our uh, top three Oasis songs. So my top three. <laughs> and uh, sadly, it's like I wrote out my favorites. So I don't know if I... A slide away would have probably been up there before me, but that's okay. And let's just say, I think both of us, all of these change like every day. Depends on what album we've yeah, been listening to. Yeah, yep. Which is why I actually wrote out like five because I was like, oh no, I can't possibly. Oh my God, they're so, so good. <laughs> so slide away is right. pretty much always in my top three, always. one of the greatest love songs ever written it's beautiful it's sensual it's definitely about sex with someone <laughs> so it's kind of interesting that noel wrote the words and he's having his brother sing them but whatever you can look into that um you know slide in baby someone's sliding into someone let's just say <laughs> No, but it really and the the musically the way it builds is like it's sex. I don't know. I don't care. Uh, all I know is you can take me there. Just repeat it over and over and over and over again. Anyway, that is a yeah, very sexy, gorgeous fun. song. So slide away. Uh, I put "Don't Look Back" and "Anger" on there more recently. Because I think because Noel went to Glastonbury, and I've just listened to it a lot now, and especially played like outside at a festival. It's one of the most magical yeah. like. 
is a beaut. Oh it? man. Stand up beside the fireplace. Take that look from off your face. Cause you ain't ever gonna burn my heart out. Build up to so Sally It's just like the most like I don't even know what those lyrics mean. And that's the thing about Noel Gallagher lyrics. If you actually write them down, a lot of times you're like, what does that mean? But I it makes you feel yeah. something. Sometimes they don't mean anything, but sometimes it's like vague enough or there's just something about it that's hard to define that is magical. Like um yeah, it's champagne supernova and um We're not on your picks yet, Laura. Sorry, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just I'm kidding. Not, <laughs> um, and Supersonic. Supersonic is my last pick. That's amazing. To me, that personifies the early, just kind of yeah. grungier sound. Not grungy, but... The very first single. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah, that's right. It's the first single. Um, and it's it's uh, Kyle, Lauren, of course, does uh, our season three theme here on Talking Fanfic, which is based on Supersonic. Yes. But that, just that, that first, like drag of the pick down the string and just how Liam yeah, like so growls out those lyrics. I need to be myself. I can't be no one else. I'm feeling supersonic. Give me gin and tonic. Give me gin and tonic. So fucking good. I don't know why. <laughs> can have it all, but how much do you want? Yeah, it's so yeah, good. So good. But those are my top three at the moment. Uh, and then mine, they change daily, and I love all of your choices as well. Uh, Talk Tonight is always up there. It's actually a B side, but it's a beautiful Noel song. Noel sings on it. Sleeping on a plane, you know you can't complain. amazing and ah uh cast no shadow is on morning glory and it's gorgeous uh the harmonies are wonderful but dedicated to Richard Ashcroft of the Verve, which I always thought was cool. Um, okay, I'm going to keep... Okay, I'm just going to say Songbird. Three, five, five. 
Talking to the songbird yesterday Flew me to a pair stop far away She's a little pilot in my mind Singing songs of love to pass the time Gonna write a song so was Liam's first, well, it wasn't his first Oasis written track uh, on an album because that was Little James, but Songbird was his first single, I believe, and it deserved to be a single. It's a beautiful song. It's only like two minutes long, um, but it's simple and beautiful and uh, hard to not love. A man can never dream these kind of things, especially when she came and spread her wings. Whispered in my ear the things I'd like Then she flew away into the night Gonna write a song so she And if you're a Jesus fan, I'll just say yeah. Liam, <laughs> Liam says it's about his first wife, Nicole And she is, she she uh, was in a band And she was a singer But um, the lyrics, um, let's see uh, Gonna write a song so she can see Give her all the love she gives to me She gives to me of course, it's probably about Nicole. I don't know, but let's let's just think about <laughs> put our little tinfoil hats on. Who is the, let's put our Jesus hat on? Who's the primary little songbird who's always <laughs> writing and singing love songs, and who might Liam want to impress by writing his own song? <laughs> See, should have spent less time on the timeline because I have all of these songs we could dig into the lyrics like that. Yeah, we have to do a part two. We can do a part two episode. That's what we should do. Actually, we'll do that. We'll do yeah, GCSD we'll lyrics. <laughs> um, okay, so that's Oasis. Um, going to, let's to go to Liam's solo stuff. My top three. Um, uh, there's so many. And I love, and honestly, all of Liam's songs seem to be talking about it all, in my opinion, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, the, the first one, which is on his second album, Why Me, Why Not, is called Once. It was easy. So good. It's so beautiful. And it actually has this great music video where he takes this. Yeah, you need to watch the music video. Oh my gosh. What, who's the footballer's name again? Um, Eric Cantona. The French, amazing French. Uh, Incredible French football player who played for Manchester United for years, which is funny because yes. that is the mortal enemy if you're a Man City fan like the Gallagher brothers. Um, but just, it's like. Um, that lyric um but oh, I remember how you used to shine back then you went down so easy like a glass of wine my friend when the dawn came up you felt so inspired to do it again but it turns out you only get to do it once. But oh, I remember how you used to shine back then. You went down so easy like a glass of wine, my friend. When the dawn came yeah. up, you felt so inspired to do it again. But it turns out you only get to do it once. Um, I just it makes me think of just like Noel getting up and just writing his songs and and he's always motivated and he's always moving forward. And just that you only get to do it once, like you only get to do Oasis, that thing that you loved once. Yeah. And the first line, it was easier to have fun back when we had nothing. It's like, who is who did he have Ugh. nothing with? Noel. And back when we were damaged. <laughs> Ugh. God, that whole song. 
Uh, it's about Noel. Anyway, um, my second Diamond in the Dark. Who's that about? Diamond in the Dark. <laughs> oh, let's look up the lyrics to that one. Um, <laughs> hold on. I left the late today. I'm on another plane. I spent too much time on the dark side of your door. I spent the night awake, had all that I could say. I might not see those baby blue eyes anymore. There's a fire in the sky And baby there's a red dawn in my eyes And all the meanings got so twisted since you're gone And I guess I hope you're fine But really you know I hope you're crying And there's a million things to say since you've been gone It's about someone waiting around for someone <laughs> with blue eyes. Oh my god! <laughs> I left LA today. I'm on another plane. I spent too much time on the dark side of your door. So this is a song about someone that he's no longer in contact with. Um, I spent the night awake, had all that I could take. I might not see those baby blue eyes anymore. So you know, he could just be writing about anyone, or he could be writing about someone with baby blue eyes. Does 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 Debbie have blue eyes? Debbie has kind of hazily eyes. Oh, she, she actually, actually does, yes. So, oh, I thought she had dark eyes. Oh, my bad. But she's he's not spent time on the dark side of her. No, dog. not at all. <laughs> and the chorus is like, uh, "Come on!" I'm shouting like he's like yelling to someone. Come on! I'm shining. Come I'm on. shining like a diamond in the dark. I'm floating like a lion in the ark, which is 100% something Liam would write. It's like. It's actually really good. But it is. It's like this floating lost kind of feeling. I'm walking around in circles through the park and no tough talk will erase you. No. It's like no yeah. no amount of like shitting on you on Twitter is going to make it go away. Yeah. Now I know how many holes it takes, which is a Beatles reference. And I really don't know how to shake these memories. Like there's something, there's like this old memories that are haunting him that won't go away. Someone to do with baby blue eyes, someone who he's been on the dark side of their door a long time. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> anyway, that's that one I like. Um, and then actually a, a song that is definitely not about Noel, um, that is actually about yeah. Debbie. It's called When I'm in Need. It's a beautiful song. Oh, when I'm in need, she's right by my side. In the days till she's mine When I'm with her I feel I'm alive I'm lost in her world and her smile Oh, when I'm in need She's 
You're There For Me When I Need You kind of a song. And that's, I think, off the first album? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I love the She's So Purple Haze. You know what I mean? You know what he's I mean? A, he's a Hendrix fan. And I love that. She's so purple haze. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's sweet. Uh, so those are my Liam picks. Um, so I took the liberty of picking a BDI song. It's probably my favorite BDI song. There's a lot of them, though, called Ballroom Figured. Did you ever loan me that song? Did you ever know me at all? We listen to the world going wrong. Looking through a hole in the wall Shoving our loving away Um, and the, the only issue with, like, songwriting credits here is that all the BDI songs were songwriting shared credits between Kim, Andy, and Liam, like I said. So it's a little hard to determine, it's like, oh, how much of this is Liam, is, if you're looking at the lyrics. No, if you're just looking at a good song, though, um, it's an excellent song. And uh, there is an acoustic version, I think, at Abbey Road Studios that is beautiful. That you should look up on YouTube. Maybe we can link it. Um, all the acoustic sets tend to be really beautiful with his voice but the album version is gorgeous too I mean it's kind of acoustic on the album anyway so yeah it's a simple song it's really beautiful soon on the verge of who knows a sound we're dancing around turn up the music and Another print, I just keep picking pretty songs. He's great with the rocking songs like um, Greedy Soul. Greedy Soul is amazing. Actually, one's probably about the Scorponi. For sure. It's so good. And there's a live, the studio version of that is like, or live in the studio, I should say, is amazing. And Shockwave is amazing. All kinds of rocking songs. But I've. Wall of Glass. Wall of Glass is a banger um so but i've chosen prettier ones all you're dreaming of was like a christmas single it's just gorgeous the chord changes are like more unusual for him and it's just really really pretty When you're losing ground 
inherently wonderful in that song as well. And again, most of Liam's solo stuff is like co-written, but his his name's on that one as well. Um, highly recommend. There's a live version of that. I think he did on Jonathan Ross. We'll find it and link that. And then Gone is a song off of Why Me, Why Not? And it's gorgeous. My favorite version. He did an amazing MTV Unplugged set. Um, that's wonderful. And Gone on it is gorgeous. It's got like a choir behind him. It's just beautifully executed. leaving and i'm gonna be gone which you could read into if you want um but yeah lots more could go into but those are some of my favorites right now yeah i find his solo stuff like so listenable so just uh, there's not too many i skip yeah i was gonna say in later oasis days noel was talking about himself struggling with you know writing kind of becoming too complicated songs kind of like getting too layered and complicated meanwhile he's like lamb's just turning out these like three minute pop songs and they're all great. Um, he said that of course, when they were getting along, but yeah. uh, th- that's what these remind me of. And yeah, he's got songwriting help, but there's no shame in that. I mean, to know there's shame in that, but there's actually no shame in that as far as I'm concerned. And um, they're great songs and they all have his attitude in them and, and a softer side as well sometimes. So. Yes. To me, like, come on, you know, is like a perfect album. There's not one song I skip on that album. It's a grower, man. When we first heard some of the singles that they were releasing, we were kind of like, ah, it's a lot poppier than we were hoping and blah, blah, blah. But it's definitely grown on me. Yeah, especially better days. When that- I know, for yeah. some reason. But then I think there's a live version that was like really impressed me. And then now here on the album, and I'm like, yeah, no, that's a beautiful song. Um, all right, well, let's turn to Big Brother. Nole. Nole. Noel Solo. So again, he's uh, this is with his stuff with his band, Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. And everything that the High Flying Birds do is written by Noel. Yep. So this is all of his stuff. My first pick is If I Had a Gun, uh, which I, there's so much to say about this song. Yeah. It's off the first album, right? Yes, it's off the first album. I think, according to him, he would could kind of... Um, would have been the next Oasis. I haven't heard him say that album. Basically, with some changes, would have been the next Oasis album. If I had a gun, I'd shoot a hole into the sun. Love would burn this city down for you. If I had the time, I'd stop the world and make you mine. And every day would stay the same with you.
absolutely gorgeous love song. It's um got this chorus that's like uh, oh, excuse yeah. me if I spoke too soon. My eyes have always followed you around the room. And more than lyrics, he's just he's known for his songwriting and his ear for melody is incredible. I think that's what really makes his songs work so well. It's like the melodies are so good. And when he does get the lyrics down well, it's it's a bonus. But yeah. That song is just like you can't not love that song. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, and he was playing it at sound checks, I think, in the late Oasis days. So he had this one kind of on the burner for a little bit. So that one's always great. Dying of the Light is just another. Mm, I love that one. Um, it's like it's a, it's a sad kind of melancholy. Yeah. Um, feel and lyrics to it. It's kind of like it sounds like maybe somebody on their way to um trying to make it big, but time's running out or something yeah yeah like just dying of the light the day is running out stuff is always amazing the album versions but if you give him yeah, a guitar and just so put good. him in front of a microphone in a studio you're just gonna start crying yeah absolutely just totally beautiful by himself uh you'll talk about yeah. that i think with one of your picks later um but uh my last pick is holy mountain which is off the latest album who built the moon amazing um which is just like yeah you got me on this one at first i was like what i don't know yeah, first you think it's stupid, and then you're like, no, no, it's genius. <laughs> should be annoying but it's so catchy and it's like this more high energy dance number uh i think in the music video it's he just looks adorable in his little tiny skinny <laughs> pants and his little button-up shirt and it's like oh my god you're just such a daddy like you're so sexy anyway that's going down uh, god he looks so hot these days he has aged i know total fucking smoke show to me how well aged she is 
Sorry, we're talking all over each other. This is bad. But I was just going to say that um, he's so in, hot. Uh, more related to the song itself, he's described this one as pure joy of when it's played live, which I can only imagine is true. And like, uh, I swear that penny whistle thing goes. Yeah, I think it was. So he worked with David Holmes on this album, which was, and it was the process of it was totally different than he'd ever done because he wanted to do something different. So he came into the studio with no songs, which was um, highly unusual for Noel because usually he's got them all stacked up behind him. Um, and I think it was David Holmes who had like found this weird little penny whistle solo off of something. And I guess Noel's first reaction was like, that is incredibly annoying. Uh, it's got to go in one of my songs. <laughs> so, but he works it into the song. And it's like, that's a bopper, man. It's, it's really good. I like the lyrics to it too, which are simple. It's not clever in particular. It's just a dance song. And he's got like a, a love for like dance music uh, that he's been not shy about. And because now, like, even he admits what he's doing now is not what you'd call rock and roll. It's something different. Yeah. That all comes from his early, like, yeah. early 20s yeah. at the Hacienda Club in Manchester. Just take an acid and sit against the wall and listen to the music coming over you. Or- Molly. <laughs> yep, absolutely. What are what are your No Gallagher Half-Lying Bird picks, Laura? Uh, yes. So you mentioned the acoustic boss. So he's like, he's... And I would say, too, I don't know, I'm just mentioning this offhand, like Live Forever has always been Liam's song and I will maintain really only Liam can do it justice, sort of. But even Noel has now has an acoustic version he did uh, on the BBC Two or something like that. And it's gorgeous. Yeah. So they are Noel songs, I admit. But like he's converted me to where I think like there are some songs I think he can't pull off. Like he did a version of Go Let It Out. I think like, no, nah, Liam has to sing that song. But um, Live Forever, he did really well. So, sorry, that was a digression. Just about how good he is on acoustic uh, sets, Dead in the Water. It's, it's an incredibly beautiful song. Could have do it once more. Have we got time? Okay. Hmm? Yeah. It's on uh, Who Built the Moon as a bonus track. Um, when he was scrambling around for, he said something like, these days they just kind of expect a bonus track or something. So for the deluxe edition of the album. So he's looking around for something undone. And one of his guys said, what about that one about the water you like recorded in, uh, in I- when we were in Ireland? And he's like, he's like uh, oh yeah, no, we didn't record it though. He's like, oh yeah, it was recorded. 
So Noel had, when he was uh, recording different songs, or I think it was on a radio station, and he was just playing live in the studio to play some other songs. And between songs, um, he just wanted to try this one he'd been working on. So he played it just because of one off. He did not know that they were just recording through it, so he did not know it was recorded at all. And that is what you get on the album. It is him on acoustic, just playing with no plan to have it recorded. So don't walk away, love. There's never enough that could make me crash on the broken glass. Let the storm rage. I die. It's just gorgeous and he's described it since as like one of those moments you don't get very often in music when kind of god comes into a room and just something kind of takes over and it's that beautiful the only thing that's changed he said is that the backing piano was re-recorded on top of it just because his keyboardist at the time had not heard it and was trying to kind of play along so they kind of nailed that down and, and figured that out and then layered that on top but as far as what you hear on noel his voice and his guitar, that is just one off in that studio. So that's, it just comes off just like that, just very kind of raw and unprocessed, beautiful music. And it's, the lyrics are gorgeous. The chords, like Noel doesn't use, like he's not using anything unusual in that song. Like what I've learned from trying to teach myself guitar, what happens when you get into an artist like that and start learning their songs is you start seeing the patterns that they're making in their music. And really, Noel tends to stick to like very basic chords, especially these days, like open chords. You can basically play these chords with like two fingers, three fingers. He uses like C and G and A and like maybe suspended or whatever. But his genius for laying a melody on top of simple chord changes is amazing. Any Noel Gallagher fan, it's got to be one of their favorite songs because it's just instantly classic and it's beautiful and moving. And Anyway, that's my first pick. I know you love it too. Yeah, Raw is a great way to say how that studio yeah. version came out. There is an acoustic version on YouTube you can find that's pretty damn close. I mean, it's really good, but it's not actually the, the same studio recording. Uh, but it's really good too if you go on YouTube. Yeah, so so there's no video footage of the act, that actual session in Ireland. Correct. That is my understanding. I think he went back to that studio, actually, because it's it looks like it's on Irish television. So I maybe think he went back and they did it again because Mike's Mike's got the, the keys down just right, just like it is in the studio. So or in the album version. Um, <laughs> I was kind of being cheeky. And my next pick was Black Star Dancing because uh, I know that you still aren't a fan of the song. And I, th <laughs> I think it is like so representative of a new sound he's found that particular diehard die Oasis fans often do not like. If not for the mountain, tell me who will stand tall. It's the money you're counting, and I hope you got it all. Nature is dancing, and it makes me sweat.
I was like, the first time I heard it, I thought it was stupid. I didn't like it. And if it's like, so just, <laughs> just like Holy Mountain, like so many of the solo stuff, not so many, but a lot of the really different ones, I because I come into thinking I know what a Noel Gallagher song sounds like, and when it doesn't sound like that, you're like, what is that? But now I've just admitted to myself that I really, really like it. And uh, this is no exception. Um, it's like got this unusual bass line that apparently he was in the shower listening to David Bowie. I can't remember which track, but he heard this bass line. He's like, oh, I could do something with that. So he started kind of with the bass line and they started layering on top of it. And um, I guess it should be said, too, that like his latest iteration of the band has a lot of female voices in it. And this one really uses um, a singer called YC. She's this French singer. She's amazing. And so it really utilizes her voice well. It's like, I don't know. It is like the closest, probably that cosmic pop that he said before. Like Liam uses that in a derogatory sense and Noel uses it to describe his music. <laughs> has Noel used it? I'm pretty sure he actually has said cosmic pop. I'm pretty sure he actually said, has said those words. And it, I mean, it describes it pretty well, when, especially like Black Star Dancing. I'm not sure. I really want to know like his kind of fascination with like stars because he'll, he has all these black star pins, which could be da the David Bowie thing, like one of the last David Bowie images. Actually, I was looking for that and it seems like most of his pin, he does have a black star pin, but he wears a white one for some reason on his, which, makes think of which obviously makes you think the of the white star shaped tambourine. Star -shaped yeah. tambourine. And his backing, I noticed at Glastonbury, which I hadn't noticed before, um, yeah. the girls uh, have star-shaped yeah, tambourines. Yeah, girls that sing with them. Okay. <laughs> like, okay, we're doing that. Okay. But he likes stars, apparently, in general. I think it's a, he's kind of got things yeah, he's for... he's got a sticker. There's a black star sticker. Yeah, on his guitar, on his Nash guitar. Yep, that's right. So he likes stars. But that, it's, it's, it's kind of funky. It's kind of like, I don't know. I think like a lot of music fans, you like a lot of the like 60s, 70s feel, and that's kind of come into his music too. But it's very modern sound. I don't know. I really like it. This was off of it, one of his latest EPs, Black Star Dancing. Yes. And I, w I would say I am, uh, I do bring up that song a lot just to kind of make fun of Noel, but it comes up in my fake as like other people making fun of Noel for that song because he loves it so much, obviously. And it, it often is, yeah, kind of the whipping boy song for like people who want to hear that old sound. Yeah. Representative of something new going on. <laughs> Because he's just like, fuck you, I don't care. I'm going to do this, the music that I want. And yeah, I don't I don't love it, but um, it has grown on me a little bit. I think it will continue to. I'm trying to like it, but it's definitely not my usual. Yeah. But I, I'm glad that you picked it so that we could talk about it. <laughs> we can ride all, we can ride. Okay, yeah. I've been accused of dancing around in my apartment with a beer in my hands, too. Uh, we are moving on uh to the next one so my last one i just kind of had to pick one because i love i love noel's solo stuff i love liam's and i love noel's i'm a fan of both and uh just had to pick one so i picked a b-side because he's just notorious about putting some of his best songs as b-sides talk tonight master plan all of these amazing classics anyway uh alone on the rope is kind of closer to like a classic noel gallagher feel to it i think but it was the b-side to um if love is the law which is also grown on me, but my first impression was that it was a kind of stupid song. <laughs> um, but it's grown on me some, but of the two, I think it's obvious which one's better to me, which is Alone on the Bro Road.
Love Is The Law has like a Johnny Marr song. Like all his, all his albums have Johnny Marr somewhere on them. And I'm pretty sure that Johnny Marr did like harmonica and maybe some guitar work maybe on Love Is The Law. I could be mistaken on that, but so I think he just likes it because Johnny's on it. But Alone on the Rope is a gorgeous song and uh, I don't know, kind of classic themes of alienation and someone coming to your side and love and all that shit. It's really pretty. Yep. <laughs> it is a beautiful song. He doesn't play it that often either. Yes. Apparently, like, they can't get the speed right as far as Noel's concerned. Like, it's either too fast or too slow. And he's like, oh, yeah, when I play it live, then everyone's just, the crowd is just completely silent afterwards. It's like, they're probably, like, taking it in. Like, Noel will do these things, like, on stage. He's like, he'll be like, oh, here's another song you don't give a shit about. I feel like his fans are just like, oh, we do give a shit about it. We like it, man. Sort of got a little self-esteem issues going on. but uh, I think he knows. I think he's probably pretty self-conscious of the fact that Liam's shows are outselling his shows by quite a bit. Yeah. And that his albums are outselling Noel's right now. And Liam's his peak popularity right now. Which is kind of crazy to me, even though like it does make sense because it's Liam. And I would pay money to see Liam. But I would also pay big money to see Noel because I know – like with Liam, it's a little bit, even though it will be a good show, you're kind of rolling the dice on, is his voice going to be there that night or not? Which is fair mm-hmm. enough, because that's rough on his voice to do. And I'd still enjoy an off night for him. But I, I think it's guaranteed with Noel that you're going to have a fantastic show, with amazing songs. His voice is 100% going to sound great. The band's going to sound amazing, because they're always tight live. I've never seen a live uh, recording on YouTube anyway of like a bad Noel gig. Like, I don't think it exists. Yeah, I don't think the energy's level is not what a Liam show would be. But it's also, you're usually in like a little bit smaller venue than like. Yeah, which I would love. Yeah, it's just, a, it fits with Noel's style being in like a smaller theater or something yeah. like that. So that, that would be an ideal place to see a High Flying Bird show. Yeah. But anyway, I think I think for the last, last question, just to bring it back to the thick for a second. Sure. Do you think, being a Jesus fic reader and writer, do you think it happened, Laura? Do you think the Jesus thing happened? Okay, my, my theory is that probably something unbrotherly happened. Like, I don't necessarily think that, like, they slept together. I could be, I know JV's going to be like, no, 100%. But, but <laughs> like, my guess would be, something kind of unbrotherly happened. And like, I think Liam has an intense like love and fixation on Noel. And that could like, whether you want to diagnose it as something or not, I think his love for Noel is just like really, really, you know, he's just, he really loves Noel, I think. And um, I think like it would be easy for if something happened or whatever, like, Noel's just kind of pulled back. I think Noel finds his life easier without Liam, which makes me sad. But um, if there would be like guilt there in the way or something like, but if I had to put money on it, I'd say, yeah, I, I don't know. Do you think something unbrotherly happened once or do you think it was recurring? Uh, I think it was probably recurring during a certain year. I think it was like on and off. Like if I had to put money yeah. on it and they had good years and bad years. And then like, as Noel found like normalcy with a life with his second wife and a family life, it's sort of like in your fic, he's just like found an idea of a life he wanted. And that was harder and harder to include Liam in that. Cause 
Liam maybe wanted more out of Noel than bit of a chaos machine, Liam Gallagher. Yeah, just emotional intensity, like a fixate. I think, I don't know, someone, I forget who on Tumblr is always trying to diagnose him with a mood disorder. Yeah. It's like, whatever, it's too complicated for me to even begin to, but um, certainly someone who loves very intensely and deeply and also has periods of hating intensely and deeply, but um, just a, a wonderfully intense person and I don't know. Noel's just like, I will just march ceaselessly into the future and never look back. And never look back. It's a lot easier if I just don't talk about that singer I used to have a band with. In fact, let's not even say his name in interviews. It's like Archie, he'll call Archie or the, the singer or the other fella. Noel said something in an interview, I think around that really bad time in 2019, he was like, seeing his face makes me want to shoot up a McDonald's with a machine gun. He said that? Yeah. <laughs> He's so cool, Noel. He's extremely cool. And then like, Liam will just call him the little fella. Yeah. The little fella. Oh, he's yeah. little. He's little. Potato. 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 Amazing. Yeah. What do you think? What's your theory? I think I agree with you. I think I would... Uh, yeah, I think probably what you have said is pretty close to what I would um, put money on to be the truth. I would think that the unbrotherly thing uh, probably was the full on. I don't know. I just sure. feel like there's a lot of guilt that Noel seems. He just gets so weird. He does get. He does get weird. It's true. That's that's one of the clues uh, that people like Jesusers like to dig into because yeah, certain quotes or just how he handles certain subject matters. Yeah, it's not just that he gets um, irritated. It's like he gets like overreacts, and it's and it's strange. Like I'm trying to think of an example. Like um, I don't know. There was a moment in a Russell Brand interview where Russell's joking about all this stuff that Noel got up to in the nineties and like, surely there's been like a cheeky threesome with our kid. Right. And, and like Noel doesn't like, like normally he's pretty good about like laughing stuff off, but he kind of gets quiet. He's like, where'd you hear that? <laughs> and it's just like a, it's like a strange moment. Right. And it's like, okay, that's um, all right. I'll just go ahead and think about that for a while. Um, yeah. And just in interviews, and obviously, I feel like we should do a part two interview where we go into, or a part two episode where maybe we go into some of the weird Jesus moments, yeah, fucked up shit that he said in interviews, and like, then the really nice stuff too. Once in a while, yeah, calling him stunningly beautiful, <laughs> um, sexy, is sexy. That's those are things I find attractive in men. <laughs> like, just, like, like he's talking about Liam's hair and shoes and the things he likes about, it. and the interview said. Something about that. He said, oh, those are just things I find attractive in men. And you're like, what? Which is fine to <laughs> say. Right. But we're just... talking about your brother. <laughs> yeah. um, and also and also from, from Liam, like a song like, Yes, God Thinks I May. I could be your lover. You could be all mine. You could be all mine. We go on forever. Go on forever. Till the end of time. Till the end of time. <laughs> you know, it's like a song specifically, explicitly about brothers. It's a Cain and Abel reference. And yet the first line is, I could be your lover. Like, it's a little like, huh, okay. I mean, I know Liam's just kind of, his brain works differently than everyone. Yeah. Um, but it's like pretty strange um, and heartbreaking and so sad. And so I, uh, yeah, I'm inclined to believe that um, something in the incesty department <laughs> happened and recurred. Because like you said, it's like you they have these like on again, off again dynamics, especially like 2002, 2003, when they had both divorced their wives. Yeah, they got married 
they both get married within like a month of each other and then they get divorced with like a month of each other or something. I mean, at least they have like the same years, I think. Yeah. It's like they're trying like, oh, let's be wives or let's be husbands now. It's like, okay, now what? we can be single again. And it's like a happy yeah. time. Yeah. It's strange. It's definitely some wonderful and odd, some odd things, <laughs> sexy things might have happened in my opinion. So, but I think you're right in that um, – Noel's found a balance with uh, Sarah and his kids, and he's be- he's tr- he's trying to build this life of the person that he wants to be. But I feel like the the odd moments in interviews and the times where you can tell that he's spinning something or avoiding questions, like there's all the oh, interviews always ask him, "Was like, but do you miss Liam?" He, he always answers. avoids the question and completely never answers it. I will not answer that. It's like he always finds a way around it, or straight up he says he doesn't, which is bullshit. Um, I don't, yeah, that was during Oasis though. Well, in the supersonic interview book. So like, there's like a, ch- a chapter called brother. So it doesn't, they don't play it in the documentary, but in my supersonic interview, the full interview book, there's like this page where it's like, like Noel's like, I mean, I could just pull it. I have, I don't have it in front of me. Let, let, let me just read it. Okay. Cause yeah, it's, dude. it's worth it. Um, so yeah, on this page, on page 262 of the supersonic uh, documentary companion, um, Liam says about, and it says about Noel, says geezer, brother, dude, miserable bastard, funny cunt, funny, but miserable. Love him dearly, man. Without me, he wouldn't be the man. <laughs> um, and it, are these interviews taken during the documentary making? Yes. I believe they're all in like separate rooms or, and different times, but. Okay. Yes, like this is these were the interviews that um what's his name? I forgot his name already. But the the filmmakers used And what what when would that have been? What year? Like well, that's was it 2017 that the that Supersonic came out? Okay, yeah, you're right, 2016, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um and then right under it from Noel, I don't love Liam and I don't hate him. We're just family and families are different. Family cannot be summed up in one nifty sentence. What does your mom mean to you? That's too fucking complicated a question. What does your dad mean to you? You can't just say that in an interview. So it's easy to say you love them. But I know what love is. I love my wife. And if that is what love is, I certainly don't love Liam. Do you know what I mean? I don't hate him either. There is like a bit in the middle that's just, you tolerate their shit and vice versa. It's like, wow. Uh, wow, dude. So, but, you know, he's in interview mode. And I feel like when he's in interview mode, He's, you can't take him at face value at all. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can if you want, you know, but then he'll, I don't know, the interviews were in the past where he said, I love that boy, you know, more than anyone in England or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That was probably in 2002. A good year. Yeah. A very good year. Very good year for them. Well, anyway, I think that's all the ramblings we have time for today. Yeah. It's almost three hours. Wow. Cool. Yeah. We'll cut some of that down. Hopefully. <laughs> I keep doing these fucking three-hour episodes. It's bullshit. I need to restrain myself. Yeah, because then you have to edit it. Uh, bad. Yeah. Yes, I do. That's all right. Well, this will be out next year sometime. Yay. You should keep a lot of the stupid stuff and then – But Yeah, but no, I will. It'll probably be a three-hour episode. Woo-hoo. Well, I think it went well. Yeah, what should we say as a parting um, – Anyway, listen to some Oasis music yeah. and stay tuned for my GV interview and uh, – Fucking mad for it. I am mad for it. I conquer.